Bulls, Bulls, Bulls. Buffalo bullies Charlotte 31-9 in the Bahamas Bowl. Kent State flashes past Utah State 51-41 in Frisco. San Diego State trounces Central Michigan 48-11 in New Mexico. Liberty lips past Georgia Southern 23-16 in the Cure Bowl. FAU is sweet against SMU 52-28 in the Cherry Bunny Cherry Tart Boca Raton Bowl. Arkansas State Red Wolves their way past Florida International 34-26 in the Camellia Bowl. Washington... Broncos, Boise State, 38-7 in the Las Vegas Bowl. Appalachian State, Mountains over UAB, 31-17 in the New Orleans Bowl. UCF, Knights pass Marshall, 48-25 in the Gasparilla Bowl. Hawaii defends home turf, 38-24 against the Mormons. Louisiana Tech scores, Miami doesn't in the Independence Bowl. Uh, Pittsburgh slips past the wall, 34-30 against the EMU. UNC plays heel against Temple 55-13 in the military bowl. Michigan State Spartans pass Wake Forest 27-21 in the pinstripe bowl. Texas A&M lassos the Cowboys 24-21 in the Texas bowl. Iowa Hawks passed USC 49-24 in the holiday bowl. Air Force flies past Washington State 31-21 in the Mm. Cheez-It bowl. He's got Lions, He's Tigers, got and Cotton Bowl, 53-29. Mem- Penn State over Memphis. Notre Dame beats Iowa State, 33-9 in the Camping World Bowl. Go Tigers, 63-28 over Oklahoma. Clemson beats Ohio State, 23 or 29-23. Got 30 Washington. <laughs> Western Kentucky beats Western Michigan in the Battle of Westerns, 23-20. Louisville beats Mississippi State in the Music City Bowl. Cal orders a bit more movies in the Red Box Bowl, 35-20 over <laughs> 10 Illinois. Seconds, 10. Orange Bowl, 36-28. 37-30 Kentucky, 24-14. Tony the Tiger, Navy beats Kansas State, Wyoming beats Georgia State. And Texas beats Utah with uh, still seven more bowls to go. Oh, not bad. <laughs> And we are live. Welcome to a new edition of 30 Rack of Sports, episode 11. It is Monday, January 6th in the lovely, mild, mild Midwest. I am Greg, joined as always by a man who actually had to sit out the last pod after being ejected for a targeting penalty. (laughs) Zach, how you doing today? Oh, Greg, son of a bitch. I'm doing good. Good. New year, new us. I mean, bowl season's over. I don't think there's any more games left, so. Don't you dare say that about the Lightning Tree Bowl tonight. So. And to my right, on the ones and twos, an audio video guy that doesn't understand the effects of slow motion replay on a catch or no catch call. Josh, how you doing today? You're really digging into us right now, aren't you? <laughs> I will say, great job, though, on the running through all the bulls that quickly. That was, a, that was a very impressive. Not just that. I got tripped over in, myself. You threw in a little fun, you know, some headlines and stuff. Didn't just rattle them off. I tried to come up with something while going through the bowls too quickly. <laughs> I got I got in my own head a little bit too much. So uh, thanks for bearing with me there through uh, at least 32 or so of the 38 <laughs> bowls that have been done so far. Um, welcome to the show today. Back after a week off, uh, some time for Christmas. Uh, a lot of news in Ohio, whether it's bowls, basketball, or otherwise. So... On the show today, we're going to go through some of the bowls, uh, talk a little bit of puck and round ball, and then uh, maybe discuss certain coaching search in uh, 
Northeastern Ohio. Some wild accusations also, there. Yeah, wild. Uh, discuss maybe wild card weekend, a little bit of hot stove, and then also talk some national bowls. Uh, give an update on the uh, bowl pick and talk about the best and worst bowls of the week. But as we do every week here on 30 Rack of Sports, to get through bowl season, to get through talking Ohio sports, we need a beer, and we encourage you to crack one open, too. Zach, it was your week for the beer. I believe we're going to Southeast Ohio. What are we drinking today? Oh, yeah. My hometown. Uh, we're drinking Brewery 33. It is called Penny's Porter. It's a raspberry vanilla porter. Um, so, yeah, if you're down in the area, definitely check it out. Um, pretty small brewery, but a large selection, and this was uh, – figured we'd do a porter. I almost got an IPA, but I was like, we do that every week. <laughs> We do drink a lot of IPAs on the show. What, this is our second or third porter? Mm, at least second. From near the old Hawk Hills. So if you ever find your way into Logan, Ohio, first off, get out as quickly <laughs> as you can. But maybe before, uh, stop for a quick beer at Brewery 33. So thank you much for uh, getting a different side of the state in. Of course, been doing a lot of uh, Southwest Ohio beers, a couple of Northeast, as I try to get some Cleveland into this We need to get into North, this pod. Northwest beer. So we're yeah, still, we're still yeah, we're still on the search for a Northwest beer. So yeah, if you yeah. have any of your favorite um, Toledo lime. beers or Lima, Finley, any any of the sorts, so uh, will be interest will be something to keep an eye out on. Uh, be sure to tweet us at Thirty Rack Podcast, uh, Thirty Rack of Sports on Facebook for whatever beers you want us to try. Because if there's one thing that we're not afraid of, it's trying beers from all over the state. If there's one thing I am afraid of, it's who's going to be the Cleveland Browns' next head coach. But we will get to that later. Josh, hit that music. Oh, uh, you want some music? Starting off with news, as we always do in the great state of Ohio. Starting off with a little bit of a bowl game. If any of you were under a rock, the college football playoff happened on the 28th. In the Fiesta Bowl, Clemson beat... Ohio State 29 to 23 to advance to the championship. Um, Justin Fields 30 of 46, 320 yards, one touchdown, two interceptions, which was twice as many as he had during the regular season. J.K. Dobbins 174 yards on 18 carries and a touchdown, also 47 yards receiving. Trevor Lawrence 18 of 33, 259 yards, two touchdowns, 107 yards rushing, and another touchdown. Um, Big story in this game, Ohio State goes up 16 to nothing. Uh, the next Clemson drive uh, involves what some might call a controversial targeting call on Sean Wade. Clemson ends up scoring and then uh, is able to get their way back into the game and eventually take the game 29-23. Momentum shifts. Zach. Momentum shifts on that targeting call. I'm interested to hear if you have any thoughts. I'm sure you have one or two. Oh, uh, Greg, I do. Um, we don't have. I could do a whole show on this. We do like three hours. Um, I'm not even gonna touch on the. I'll get on that at the end. Uh, I mean, the officiating was what the officiating was. I will say, Ohio State had many of opportunities. You know, okay, two good. J.K. Dobbin dropped touchdowns. K.J. Yep. Hill dropped a touchdown. Um, you know, I mean, you look at the yardage. Ohio <clears throat> State outgained them by practically 100 yards. I mean, they dominated that game. That was Ohio State's game. To, then they lost it. Uh, questionable play calling. Down in the red zone, um, I think they had three trips down where they ended up with. I think they got one touchdown. They had two yeah, field their, goals. Their first, I mean, their first four drives, they ended up with 
where uh, their first four scoring drives were a touchdown and three field goals. And if you think, even if you convert one of those into a touchdown, then it's 29-26 on that last drive, and you're only looking for a field goal instead of Fields trying to make a play. And you he know, had maybe the play. That's the frustrating part. And I don't want to knock Olave. It, it, miscommunication. He said he thought he took off. I don't know why. Um, but if you, oh I've watched that replay over and over. The too high deep. That's a touchdown. That ball's perfectly thrown. If Olave cuts, that's a touchdown. That's game. I'll give it to the kid for owning it. He did a great job owning, I thought, owning the mistake and all that. And uh, I feel for him. But yeah, like that. It was it was there. It yep. was there. It was a great call by Day. Um, but yeah, I think you get back to the red zone calls. It seemed like a lot of the time, you know, there was a couple drops, obviously, by JK. But a lot of the other play calling, I didn't really know what they were trying to do down there. I thought they they were really running the football. Yeah, I was kind of like just line. They were it running up. over them. Right, just line it up and run it down the middle. They got a lot of East West stuff going, trying to get too cute down there. I mean, Dobbins was was hurt for some of the game, and that was also a big momentum shift. But he still had almost 180 yards rushing. So the fact that they went away from him close to the line, and then I think also, you know, without him in there in the second half, but just also there were some very questionable play calls, and I think that allowed Clemson to get some momentum where they would get the ball back and whatnot and keep kind of moving. And obviously there were a couple calls that went a certain way. The targeting call. It was a fun. I'll give him the targeting call. I'll give him the target. Per the rule, that is the right call. One, they missed one on JK when he actually got hurt. That was a targeting that wasn't called. But, I mean, I think the Oklahoma and Ohio State games each had a targeting call. I think those were perfect examples for college football to sit down with the referees next year and say, look, here's the Oklahoma targeting call. You have a receiver unprotected running across the field. The yeah, ball's that was not just, there. That was just a dumb play by the— Right. That's why the rule's there. And then here's where you have what I just call football play. You know— the, Right. Well, one of the things that you have to, I think you have to kind of maybe put in is you understand the protection for a quarterback, but the quarterback's got to be smart. And, you know, Trevor Lawrence is, is a tall kid at what, 6'6 six, six or something? Yeah, he's, he's a big so, dude. So, yeah. I mean, you can tell tall, that. Least, yeah, you yeah. could tell that on some of his runs. He just has such long strides. Mm-hmm. But if he stays up, he doesn't get hit in the head. It's because he kind of did the little crouch there at the end that he got really drilled it, in the head. So. Yeah, and I mean, Sean Wade had already. Made the you know I mean it's it's an, I think they need at least even if you want to call the penalty at least throwing him out was a big loss for Ohio State in the secondary and I think if you at least like can look at intent there you it, can tell intent there wasn't the intent to hurt him the intent was to make a play here's here's my thing between the two plays I think each play should be as far as the Oklahoma targeting and the Ohio State targeting they each should be penalized but the one was clearly with malicious intent. And I understand how the rule is written in college football and mm-hmm. that there is emphasis on pretty much any hit where you lead with the crown of the helmet will be targeting. Right. And so I wish in the Ohio State game we could have seen an unnecessary roughness, 15 mm-hmm. yards and a first down, and his next one yeah. will be an ejection. I don't, right. think, I don't think he deserves really to get ejected right there. And no, you no. see how those plays, I mean, when you look at the win probabilities and momentum just off the eye test mm-hmm. of the game – you see some of those calls and how they shifted yeah. momentum. It's hard not to look at those calls and pinpoint where the game changed. I mean, that changed the game. The big one to me and the most egregious was the fumble. That was a fumble. Yes. And here's what and I can tell anybody. Is that not a touchdown? Like, if he's in the end zone and catches the ball, is that not a touchdown? They call that two hands up. 
That, that was a fumble. And what's the point of the replay, though? On the field call? I don't know. I don't know. But once again, I don't know if they give him possession for it because at, at the time when I saw it, my first thought seeing it live was it was just a drop. Live to me, too, because I remember they, they let it play out and Ohio State ran it in. And, and I remember people saying, well, oh, what happened? You know, I was at a party. People weren't paying attention. And I'm like, oh, they got a touchdown. I'm like, oh, you know, because I'm like, well, because, yeah, live action was so bang, bang. I was like, yeah. no, there's no way. And then they showed the replay catches has front possession for three steps he gets pushed back that doesn't matter it's the same thing when a guy runs a stick route right to the sticks catches it we see it all the time and the corner breaks and he catches it and then gets pushed back and they blow the whistle you know if he doesn't bring him down they blow the whistle dead and he's got forward progress that's the point that i don't know well correct me if i'm wrong the ruling on the field was it's a fumble, a fumble so it has to be for a touchdown it has to be so, in review and that's evidence. that's one of the things that i think is, is kind of a, a difficult spot with it because you're kind of giving different i guess ways of thinking about it to a referee because the way they're taught to do is to let it go so that right. way if they would have just ruled it incomplete if they would have switched it the other way then ohio state wouldn't have gotten the touchdown either way because they would have no it I'm not, that, that's the way you call it you're so, right yeah you need so to let the it thing play. Is, well the thing is if you let it play out then to have it be an incomplete pass and you would need the you would need you know um something to be confirmed you would need it just to stand so there is kind of a weird gray area there where even if they think it's incomplete sometimes they let it go and mm. then you don't really know what they're calling and what they're thinking in their heads so yeah it I, was certainly a bang bang play and i understand the the upset part of it but honestly dude when you're up 16 to nothing and I, you should be up like yeah, 28 so, to so, nothing. so let's let's I, be clear let's be clear i'm not saying that i agree it is perfectly fine i think I think a lot of I had a lot I had two different types of conversations about college football over the over the holidays. One was just getting caught up on the fact that oh Ohio State fans are just upset because and they're blaming it on the refs. It's like you can have the opinion that Ohio State blew many opportunities <clears throat> and also be upset with the refs and some of their calls at the same time. You can acknowledge both of those facts. Ohio State had many opportunities. They did. And I, my, my biggest one I was going to point out after real quick was, you know, when they're up 13 nothing. All right, they settle for a couple of field goals after that long first drive or J.K. Dobbins ticket to the house. That right there, to my point, was, you know, it was, it was fourth and three, four. I thought they should have went for it because the way I looked at it was that you got, you know, foot on the throat. Let's go ahead and get it. I know some people say, oh, you know, but then they – you're, if they don't get it, maybe they only pick up a yard or two. Then you're still you should trust your defense. The defense played great except for that last it. drive, you know, or that one quick drive, which I thought they should have called a timeout. I know people don't agree with that, but I thought I say should have called a timeout because obviously the defense was all. Yeah, sometimes you get jumbled. back on your heels, but right. The other thing is when you go for when you go for it on fourth down, sometimes it's a little debilitating. But also your defense knows that you believe in them and said, hey. It doesn't matter if we don't get it because our defense is going to stop them. And the way the defense was playing pretty much, I mean, all, honestly, up until that targeting, really it was kind of the next drive because they got the one play. And, but until, mm-hmm. like, that Lawrence run, really, that defense was all over Trevor Lawrence. I mean, they oh, weren't yeah. doing anything. I they mean, had, like, one first down. They had, uh, you know, Eddie N had, a, had one or two long receptions and ended up scoring two touchdowns. But as far as rushing, he mm-hmm. averaged, what, Three yards a carry, you know. Oh, yeah, they were so. dominating. That was my point. Then you, you make them go 96 yards on your defense with two unanimous All-Americans. 
But um, I guess one quick thing I'll say, it lived up to the hype. Yeah. Oh, it lived I mean, up to the hype and, you know, tip of the cap to Clemson and it's a learning all, experience. We for, can all agree that that was Coach a fantastic Day. football game. Yeah, it was. Very entertaining. And I think it, I mean, it probably sets up for two teams that are, you know, reasonably likely to be back next year. So um, switching gears here uh, to some other bowls in Ohio. January 2nd, a little bit less of an exciting game that <laughs> took forever to start. Took a while to start and also featured a 90-minute rain delay. The Birmingham Bowl, where Cincinnati just demolished Boston College 38-6. to God did not want to watch uh, that game. <laughs> Desmond Ritter uh, only had 95 yards passing and a touchdown, but both him and Warren had 105 yards rushing on 21 attempts each. Uh, Ritter had three touchdowns. Uh, Brian Wright had three tackles for loss. On the other side, Grozel, a local kid who started off actually as a walk-on for Boston College, had 87 yards passing. Their leading rusher had 28 yards rushing. And Boston College had seven drives in which they gained one yard or less. So final score, 38 to 6. And their only touchdown was off a blocked field goal, which they took back to the house and then proceeded to miss the extra point. So just a <laughs> just a terrible sorry, game. That's mean. <laughs> I'm sorry. You know, I'll, I'll get to it at the end of the show in my jeer, but like Boston College, there were reports that they like tried to mm-hmm. have this game canceled because of the rain and lightning and because it was taking so long. And, and they, their coaching staff had been fired. They were yeah. without star players. It was their second year in a row dealing with a bowl situation with weather like this. Yeah, they, their bowl I mean, game last oh, year got canceled. Just, just a. But I will say I'm so proud of the Bearcats because they finally delivered on things I've been harping on with them mm-hmm. all year long. The Cincinnati Bearcats only had two penalties in this bowl game it, for five yards. And uh, what the one of their penalties was an intentional grounding penalty, yes. which was basically sort of a he was. He should have thrown it away earlier, but it was basically the equivalent of a sack. You know, if he doesn't yeah. throw it there, he gets sacked. So that one you kind of whatever on. So, I mean, honestly, yeah, a great game. Um, really good to see uh, left tackle James Hudson starting for him. He was the guy that was out the entire season, the transfer from Michigan, that there was the big kind of faux pas about, about, mm-hmm. you know, was Harbaugh trying to, you know, keep him from getting the waiver and whatnot. So really great to see him. Uh, you know, offensive line looked better. Obviously not the best conditions for passing, but they were able to run the ball well. And um, honestly, it just, I mean, all it shows is that, you know, one team came ready to play. One team was kind of done with it. And, you know, maybe these teams shouldn't have been in the Birmingham Bowl together. So, no, well. Like I said, I'll touch more on that later. I want to just highlight a few more awesome Bearcat stats. Uh, they held the Boston College Eagles 0 for 11 on third down, 0 for 1 on fourth down. No conversions at all for the Eagles on third or fourth down. That's awesome. That resulted in uh, time of possession 41 and a half minutes to 18 and a half minutes. I mean, the Bearcats just dominated this game. And yeah, we'll get to. We'll get to this matchup and its atrocity, why it should not even exist. It's just hard with the whole coaching carousel thing, and you got a coach fired, and these guys don't yeah. want to play. Yeah. You, feel, it, you have the guys that, you know, like A.J. Dillon, who 
could be, you know, at least a mid-round pick yeah. as a running back. Doesn't want to get hurt, Don't you know, in him. a game Not that doesn't Birmingham. mean anything. But it's one of those things that I'm sure you'll touch on later. But, you know, it's, a, it's sort of a problem with picking bowls because this year we didn't exactly have the problem. But in past years, we've had a lot of lopsided bowls because everybody's, you know, basically picked into a bowl before the game, you know, before bowl season starts and mm-hmm. you only have so many opportunities to prove yourself and like UC wasn't going to go to the military bowl again so that bowl ended up being a blowout towards UNC and this bowl ended up being a blowout you know for Cincinnati because you know they it's just about getting certain conferences in certain bowls and not about making bowl season the best it can be so Bearcats only four 11 win seasons for in program history Luke Fickle back to back two of those four these past two years. It's a good stepping stone of next year. Yeah, so certainly, certainly something that can get them, you know, more momentum. Uh, we'll have, you know, Desmond Ritter back and uh, hopefully healthy uh, Ben Bryant and then also uh, Evan Prater, who was in the Under Armour All-American game, along with, you know, a lot of the top prospects over the weekend. So certainly some hope in both Columbus and Cincinnati. Uh, also hope in another area, uh, Southeast Ohio, Athens, Ohio in the, of course, the famous Idaho Potato Bowl beats Nevada 30-21. to 21. Uh, This game was really more of a blowout than, than it says. Uh, you know, it was 30-9 to nine after three quarters. Uh, Rourke for OU had uh, 144 yards passing, 87 yards rushing. Tuggle had almost 100 yards rushing. And, I mean, this was a really complete, you know, um, game by OU. They got up quick. They were able to force some turnovers. I know they gave up 402 yards passing to Nevada's quarterback, but really, overall, you know, until, um, you know, some points in the fourth quarter by Nevada, Ohio really kind of brought it to them. So cool to see. I mean, you know, obviously it's Mac versus Mountain West. It was kind of a, it was like a Friday afternoon bowl, you know, on January, whatever it was, January 3rd. But, Still cool to see, you know, for those kids, it means a lot for, you know, Mac school like Ohio, you know, it's, it's cool win. to be on the big, yeah, it's cool to be on the big stage. It's cool to have a win. You could definitely see that with the, uh, not the Gatorade bath, but the French fry bath <laughs> that they gave their coach. So certainly cool to see for Ohio. Yeah. And I know, uh, Roark, their, uh, the Ohio Bobcat quarterback, he set some school records, um, past, uh, Kareem Wilson for the most career rushing touchdowns in school history. Um, I think he broke a few other records as well. I think he also had uh, for career rushing yards. I know going into the bowl game was uh, most in FBS for a quarterback. Oh, Um, really? I didn't even realize. Wow. That's pretty cool. Finished off a uh, great career for him and moved into 18th place uh, in the MAC for most career yards as well. So he finished his Bobcat career with 10,081 yards. Nothing to sneeze at in any conference. So congrats to him. Um, so, of course, one more bowl still to go on. That's starting, as we record, about 10 minutes from now, the Lending Tree Bowl, where the Red Hawks of Miami, Ohio, face the Louisiana Raging Cajuns. I told a few people this week that the Miami Red Hawks were the ones that won the MAC and but just about every single one of them firmly did not believe me. Really? <laughs> I don't know why that's so hard for people to believe, but they... They were bad. I mean, they were, well, they, well, Roethlisberger, they were bad for a while. Yeah, they were, I mean, they've been really bad yeah. for a while. I remember what, uh, 
I'm blanking on their coach's name, but they had one season where they finally got bowl eligible, and they had started off the season 0-6, and, and had gotten to 6-6 six and six to be bowl eligible. But they were 8-5 and five this year, although more than two touchdown underdogs against UL Lafayette tonight. Um, hopefully still a good game. And I'd be you know, curious what the players good. get from the Lending Tree Bowl. You know, they usually get, like, the little backpacks. Like, they get, like, a bunch of dollar things, like some kazoos and crap like a, you find. A bunch of dollar basket tree. of plastic yeah. toys. <laughs> I don't know. Some of them, they get, like, uh, you know, they'll just get, like, random, th- like, watches or, like, uh, Oakleys. Yeah, like, Oakleys. Or, yeah. But, you know, they have something with something, some sort of. Something, something from the sunglasses under, rack in the front. <laughs> right as you walk out. Right. Under, under $500, though. Please oh, no that's right. $500. You could yeah. get so lending trees probably gives them like a garbage bag full of crap for five hundred dollars. Probably, you can get a lot from there. That's yeah, the lending tree for you though. I think that'll last you a year. Uh, Are you thinking of Dollar Tree? Dollar Tree lending. Oh, tree. Oh yeah, I'm an idiot. No, lending tree is the the cheap mortgage or whatever. Is it really? Wow, I'm I'm out of. The I'm way this. bad. That's yeah. That's Man. a big mix up. This is why bowl games have sponsors so we can learn. Lending, consumers. no, no, lending. Do not ever borrow from Lending Tree. By the way, as someone who works in the finance, don't not do that. Whoa! But. So you work in that industry <laughs> and you didn't know? Come on! I was totally blank, and I just heard tree, and Taking I was like, shots. it sounds like the. I don't know. They should have a Dollar General bowl. I think they, they, used they, they used to. Yeah, they used what to. Would, they, they used to have a Blockbuster bowl. Well, yeah, they played. They played it out in the parking lot on the pavement. <laughs> I was trying to think what the best city would be for the Dollar General Bowl. Birmingham. Nah, that seems still seems too nice. Louisville, Toledo, Toledo. Ooh, yeah, I was gonna say Toledo sounds like we're the Dollar yeah. General Bowl. Half of, yeah, mm. or Akron maybe. All right, let's get to some puck. All right, so we're gonna get to a little bit of puck here, Zach. I know you're excited about this, but uh, I am. Red line, blue line, the circle face off. Hey, there, there you, you go. go. Yeah, so. There you go. Uh, the Columbus Blue Jackets were on a 12-game point streak that uh, unfortunately ended against San Jose at home 3-2. to two. So they had uh, 12 games in which they went 8-0-4. So Great run by the Jackets. Big, I mean, big, what, 20 points for them? Sounds like it. So they were able to uh, get themselves up to 46 points, just three points out of the wild card in the East, uh, just to kind of look at some of the big players Defenseman Zach Rowinski had five goals in the last three games, and he was also the first Columbus defenseman with a hat trick since 2006, and only the third defenseman for Columbus in their uh, franchise history. He had three goals against former Columbus Blue Jacket goaltender Sergei Bobrovsky Bobby. Uh, while they played Florida. Um, and they've been doing this with a number of injuries. Uh, we mentioned in the last pod, Oliver Bjorkstrand was really killing it for the Jackets. But uh, no joke, like two hours after we uh, we recorded, they said he was out four to six weeks with uh, with an upper body injury. So he still had another two to four weeks. And their starting goaltender still had another three to five weeks after getting injured in a shootout against uh, Chicago after sort of a snafu with the clock uh, late in overtime in a 2-2 game against Chicago. There was a whistle that was blown late. Uh, Columbus tried to get a little bit more time on the clock. It was after a penalty was called. It was at 18 point, I believe, three. They tried to get it to 19.6. Columbus scores, but Columbus ends up scoring three-tenths of a second after the clock runs out. So if it would have been updated, if the clock would have been updated, then they would have won. So What's a shame about that situation, real quick, is that it didn't get reviewed. Yeah, the the 
the referee get was getting yelled at by Tortorella, just did not say anything, just would not review it, and then that, what, little over a second ended up costing him because the goal went in just three-tenths afterwards. So, And then your goalie gets hurt in the overtime. What's with this officiating? So, yeah, it was certainly tough, but the one kind of cool thing was uh, Tortorella got fined for it, and there was a GoFundMe, and they can't pay for the fine, but they ended up getting, like, uh, giving, I think it was, like, 10 grand to uh, the Tortorella Family Foundation. So something cool. cool. Why can't they pay the fine? Well, I'll I'll tell you, if you you have not seen Torts blow up, uh, it is a fantastic rant. Uh, Go view it. So if you ever want to see the best hockey rants, John Tortorella is one of the top. I've even seen a few of those. Uh, he is. ESPN. He has been. Um, he was a former New York Rangers coach. Had a ton of rants. He coached the U.S. hockey team in uh, one of the World Cups of hockey. Had a great rant. But my favorite Tortorella moment was he was the coach of the Vancouver Canucks, as we call them in Canada, uh, and ended up going into the visiting team's locker room after an intermission because he had an issue and was trying to fight the team to get into the locker room. So honestly, a fiery guy, but... Uh, <laughs> uh, that's an understatement, yeah. Just a little bit, so... Uh, I will say... Kind of a tough situation, but cool that the Jackets have kind of rallied around this mm-hmm. and you know have really worked hard. And it's one of those things where you have a bunch of guys up from the AHL that want to prove themselves, want to say, hey... I want to stay up here. Maybe next year, hey, I want a spot on this roster. So we're really working hard, and uh, the jackets, it's been showing. Well, and Greg, you said earlier just how they've been playing with a lot of hurt guys and everything. Um, They were kind of dead in the water before this run, and now they've climbed into three points out of a playoff spot. And this is per The Athletic. Uh, They opened the season with the lowest payroll in the NHL, only about $27.5 million. Um, they have nine regular guys out and five players, and I think that's now ten and ten regulars out and six up um, from the AHL. That's a lot. That's a lot of adversity to deal with and to climb up, go on that twelve-point uh, streak, climb into three points out of a playoff spot after being nearly dead in the water a couple weeks ago. That's impressive. Yeah. So if you think about most hockey rosters, you have a few guys scratched, but as far as people that are playing. You have about four lines of the three forwards, so that's about 12. You have about 20 or so players that are playing at any time. So having almost half that out and having a number of players come up from Cleveland and still being able to win games against top teams in the conference like Boston and like Washington is really impressive. And pardon me, I said, uh, want to correct myself, they are playing that $27.5 million I mentioned. Uh, that is what they're playing without. That is what they have out on injuries right now is $27.5 million. $27.5 million out and on injuries. For, uh, for a low salary cap sport like the NHL, that's not like the NBA where you have, you know, one guy. Yeah, exactly. $27.5 So certainly cool to see uh, Columbus kind of work their way out of uh, a tough beginning of the season. Um, a team that's not doing that. Yeah, I was going to say, speaking of deep holes. <laughs> speaking of deep holes, the Cavs um, now sit at 10 and 26. Tied for the second worst record in the Eastern Conference. Lost last night at Minnesota, uh, 118-103. We're able to recover from a 25-point deficit to take the lead uh, with Dante Exum hitting uh, four threes. Hit 28 points, which is a career high to get him back in the game. But uh, just not enough with a lot of injuries. Uh, Larry Nance Jr. out, Tristan Thompson out, and then Kevin Love either out or just an insubordinate. So 
tough for them. Also, uh, one of the tough points, uh, Kevin Porter Jr. went down with a knee injury. He's one of their top rookies. He was the last pick of the first round. He'd been playing really well. Thankfully, MRI came back. It, it looked like it could have been a torn ACL, MCL, something. Ended up just being a sprain, so he'll get reevaluated in two weeks. But the big story from the Cavs is uh, uh, following some of the recent losses, uh, Kevin Love, who has already had a couple of outbursts, had an emotional outburst at the front office after getting fined um, $1,000, basically said, I don't care, whatever, it's only money, and then was seen pretty much giving up, walking around a lot during Saturday's 15-point uh, loss to I Oklahoma I thought he City. said he makes a lot of money, so it doesn't matter, no? Is that not what he said? I, he has a lot of money, he whatever. makes a lot of money, whatever. What does he complain about? Again, I don't, I don't, I don't, uh, he signed this deal. Yeah, I don't understand. I don't know what he thought was going to happen when he signed the deal. See, here's the thing. He signed it after LeBron was gone. Right. He knew that they were going to have to rebuild. He knew that they just had a bunch of old, you know, pieces that they were going to have to get rid of. Did he think he was like the superstar they were building around and it was going to be like great? I guess last (laughs) year he was hurt most of the year, so he was okay with it. But at this point, I understand there are some bumps in the road, but it's like, you're honestly you're the leader of the team, so if you want things to change, it kind of starts I, with you. I didn't. I don't. I mean, I'm sure Kobe Altman. I don't know what he told him when they got him to sign that deal. I mean, I assume he was pretty. I'm, hey, guy, we're gonna yeah. be rebuilding. It's gonna be rough. I don't for know a while. I, I don't know how, how much works. you can. I don't know how much you can even lie, like lie to him. Like you know, the That's writing's I mean. on the wall. Like you're getting picks and stuff like that. And then the other thing is, you know. Um, I mean, he's played all right, but like, Kevin I mean, Love's he's also not... part of the problem with the issue, we, some of the issues with it. And then it's been shown because he wants to be traded. He wants to be traded to a contender. Well, he has this giant deal, which he signed, yeah. which is becoming more untradeable because of his injury problems and the fact that he has so much money on. So at this point, the Cavs might not be able to even give him away. They might have to like pay to get him away. And they're not going to, they're not going to give a first round pick to get off that contract so at this point he's either gonna have to get himself together and play his way into getting traded either this offseason or right now or it's gonna be an expensive seat warmer yeah it's gonna be an expensive seat warmer because at the end of the day you know he's not a superstar he's not he wasn't ever he wasn't in minnesota he's a stat stuffer in minnesota and then he came to Cleveland. I mean, he's a solid three guy. He's a, yeah, he's a, a great, big three. He's a great guy to have on you on on the team. Yeah, but, but he's not. He's uh, he's not going to carry you leader. anywhere. Yeah. He's, well, that too, obviously. What what team wants that? He's kind? gonna. He's he's a guy that that is a great. Yeah, two or three. He's a guy that you know you've seen during the Cavs run. There will be times. You know, there will be games at a time mm-hmm. that he'll carry the team. But he's not one of those guys. You know, when he was in Minnesota, when he was fat, Kevin Love, or, or right now. <laughs> He's not one of those guys that, you know, he'll put up the he'll put up 28 and 10, but right. he's not one of those guys one he's not good enough defensively and, you know, he's not healthy enough to to carry a team to the playoffs. And and, he's not that athletic. I mean, yeah, he's fundamentally sound. Um yeah, he's never been that, so I don't know why he ex- and the Cavs gave him that kind of money. Yeah, and at the you end sh- of the day, you should just take that and just deal with it. Yeah, if you didn't want that, then you should have let your contract run out cuz guess what? You wouldn't be making that kind of money on a contract or on a contender. So, I, I mean, at this point, you know, whatever. I'm, I'll get to it later at, at one point or another. But, uh, yeah, things not looking great for the Cavs um, right now. Just, I guess, see what you have in the young guys. 
Exum, uh, who they got in a trade keep, for Jordan Clarkson. Keep uh, plugging through. Did have yeah. a good game, but we'll see what happens with the trade deadline coming up and who they get rid of. Uh, now moving on to a little bit of uh, basketball roundup in the college ranks. We're going to start with the University of Cincinnati, who had an up-and-down week. Had a big win over UConn at home by 16 on Wednesday, then followed that up with a shocking loss in New Orleans against Tulane, 76-71. to uh, The Cats now go to 2-6 and six on games, uh, either on the road or at a neutral site. So not great. Things are, are kind of... <laughs> In dire straits for UC at eight and six right now, looking nowhere near a tournament team. So certainly kind of a, a difficult spot for them to be in. Yeah. Uh, you know, it, it's interesting when a, the new with the new coach coming in and the new style of play. And even even Brandon admitted him that he admitted this himself after the game uh, in Tulane, where you score what 71, 73 on the road. You should win those games, but you could not box out. You could not get rebounds. You could not play defense in that second half. And that's something that past Bearcats teams might have done with Mick Cronin and the Mick Cronin defense. Mm -hmm. And so you're just seeing that different style of play. You're seeing a mix of characters in some of the Brandon's guys and some of the leftovers who are still great basketball players. If this can mesh in the next two months, then I think the Bearcats still have a shot I wouldn't say it's dire yet. Um, we'll see, though. It's 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 teetering there. As you teeter yeah. towards 500, go in this direction. Like you have to start trending up. I mean, we're into this. We're into the new year part of the season. You have to start trending up. Now. And honestly, I mean, you can say they did give up 44, you know, um, points in the second half. But I think one of the things is just the inability to score when they need to. You know, they only had. Uh, one bucket in the last tell four minutes of the tell game. Tell me something new, Greg. Uh, but the <laughs> other thing is, I mean, when your best player only takes eight shots, I think some of that falls on him and some of that falls on Brandon, where at the end of the game you need to get your best player shots. When you have, you know, Javen Cumberland go two for 12 from three, that's not going to help you. The Cats, as a team, are only 30% from three, which mm-hmm. is, you know, in the bottom, I believe, bottom third, bottom quarter of all of college basketball. So it's just something that you can't do and at some point you're gonna have to figure out scores and right now it's looking like you know UC is and and I is just a team that has talent to make the tournament but just NIT can't get it to mesh much. so maybe an NIT team uh. well and I think it all starts uh, like I said you have to start trending upward now and we'll talk about Ohio State here in a second and we'll see the flip side of this coin but it all starts with identity and the Bearcats still like you said Greg you have is your best guy taking the right shots? Only eight shots in that two-lane game. Javen, two for 12. Like, you still have to f- you figure out. The, the Bearcats are still very much figuring out who's who, who meshes with who, what their identity as a team mm-hmm. is, and which players are going to work in, that, in those roles. It's, they haven't figured that out yet. Well, that's, that's what happens when you, when you make these hires. Sometimes I don't think... 80s, and I'm not saying it's a bad hire. We'll see down the road. It's way too early to say. But, I mean, you're bringing in somebody completely different than what you had as far as identity, what he, his system, how he wants to coach. You know, you have these seasons, especially when you have a Cumberland, some of these older guys, you know, they've been playing one way for years, and now you're asking them to play a different way. And I still think there's a question, like, who's fully buying in night to night? Yeah. It seems like there's still that. It seemed like I thought for a little bit there, it seemed like, oh, maybe 
guys starting to buy in fully. And, and that could be the case. I think you're still just working out those kinks. And sometimes it looks like when I see him on the bench, like he's just kind of like, what? like Brandon? Yeah, like it's, yeah, sorry, Coach Brandon. Like it seems like he's a little, not out of his element, but I think it's a big job. It's his first big job. I think sometimes it takes some getting used to that and trying to. But honestly, I think one of the things, and I mean, I think during the UConn game, they had like Uzo and Mike Krzyzewski and stuff like that. And they're like, hey, in their first season, they only went to the NIT. Mm-hmm. And I don't know if yeah. that's a fair comparison, but you no. look at guys like even Cronin is struggling to get his system together in UCLA. You go across the city, you know, Xavier is a teetering top 25 team this year. Last year, they were pretty bad through the first half of the season yeah. and fought, you know, we were able to get it together to be an NIT team by yeah. the end of the year. So certainly something they Oh, can- I'm not trying to knock Brandon. I'm just saying I yeah. think this isn't unexpected. I don't think UC fans should be like freaking out or shocked. Like you should have been right. like, this was a very realistic possibility. Yeah. Right. So, so something so to, I guess, worry about, but, you know, look forward to the future. It will be interesting to see. Um, they do play Tulsa this week. Some difficult games coming up uh, a week from Thursday. Play at Memphis, who's a top 25 team. Going across town to Xavier, uh, as we just mentioned. Xavier went 1-1 one and one on the week. Uh, lost at Villanova 68-62, but were able to beat a St. John's team 75-67 yesterday. Uh, we're able to finally make some threes. Uh, you know, they've not been a good three-point shooting team. But I think the bigger thing on this is just taking a look around the Big East, you know, the Big East is going to be an interesting com- conference. Mm-hmm. There have been teams, Villanova's, you know, beaten some good teams, lost some interesting teams you wouldn't expect them to. Same with Xavier. You know, Providence is not a great team, but they're 2-0 and in the league. Uh, Butler was picked to finish eighth. They're a top six team in the nation. So, you know, even if you're not a Xavier fan, which I'm guessing a lot of our listeners are not, Big East still a very fun conference to watch. Oh yeah, Big East is still uh, Big East in basketball is always going to be a fun conference to watch. Um, and yeah, we'll we'll see. Like you said, Xavier's kind of teetering on that top twenty-five line. But you know, having lived in Cincinnati all my life, I know Xavier is a team that always trends upward starting in March. So yeah, I they, expect to see them there. They seem mm-hmm. to trend up in the right way. Uh, speaking of a team that's unfortunately trending. Maybe taking a little bit of a step back right now, um, Ohio State had a pretty rough week over the holidays, losing in Cleveland to West Virginia 67-59 and then dropping a game that they were in control of for you know, much of the game, at least all of the first half and then early second half. They lost to Wisconsin 61-57 on Friday, now fall to 1-2 and two in Big Ten play. Um, yeah, um, everybody seems to relax. You know, I, this not unexpected, I don't think. You know, they had a great run, and I remember thinking, eh, a lot of this seems too good. I mean, to keep up for a whole year. Right. Um, I still I still like them. I still think, you know, hey, this is sometimes why you play those tough early games. I mean, they got a nice resume built up already here. kind of buys them a little bit of wiggle room. Um, Big Ten's a tough conference, and, you know, they're missing Kyle Young's, missing a lot of an appendectomy, I think. Yeah, he just had an appendectomy. Yeah, so believe, he's yeah. going to be week to week for a while. Um, you know, kind of a key bench piece. And he's then, been one of their best rebounders, right? Yeah. And then Muhammad been was out with the illness. They've had some weird small things like that. Um, but some of the key guys, like Carton stuff, just not played well. A lot yeah. of turnovers, very little production. It's really offensive end. Uh, I think the defensive effort's still there. 
Um, well, you know, they got Maryland coming up 15, you know, and then IU. So, yeah, Maryland we'll actually, uh, Ohio State dropped to 11 in the poll, mm. playing number 12, Maryland yeah, tomorrow. 12, so, but yeah. I think the one thing that you look at that's nice is, you know, you have some guys in and out, and that could be a step back. But once again, not getting blown out, you know, close games against some decent mm-hmm. teams. And also, you have Caleb Weston, you know, had 17 points against West Virginia, had 20, I think, 22 and 13. And when you only yeah. score 57 points, having your big guy be a big player is very important because, you know, later in the season, if they start to get healthier, you know, Carton and whatnot start to kind of get things together. Mm-hmm. Having a big guy that you can lean on that can, you know, can get buckets can really help in, you know, big Big Ten games and, and tournament games. So I think, you know, something kind of a reality check for them, but I don't think anything really to worry about. No, I trust Holtman. He'll get the ship righted here. And, you know, they might come more to like an average. You know, maybe they yeah. were playing a bit above what we thought. So we've seen their ceiling. I think we've seen their floor. So I think we'll hopefully get in the middle there. Well, speaking of a team that's uh, working their way to their ceiling, uh, mm-hmm. the hottest team in the state of Ohio right now, the Dayton Flyers, finished off a 3-0 and week, um, win out of the conference against North Florida, but also some uh, double-digit wins against LaSalle and St. Joseph's to open up A-10 play, have moved up to from number 20 to number 15 in the poll, um, Obi Toppin uh, is a potential lottery pick, has had just awesome awesome dunks like every week so i mean uh, you go into the beginning of the season you know uh i know i saw early in the season you know xavier uc maybe being one of the top teams maybe it was uc then it was sort of xavier was the hot team early ohio state got up to one in the nation right but right now it's i mean you know ohio state's obviously a team that's been you know a little Teetering. up and down yeah uh you know xavier's lost some games and i know dayton plays in you know a mid-major conference in the a10 but well, I mean, they're they only... They are a certainly dangerous their team. Their two losses are to KU and Colorado. Yeah. Nothing, and they were close. Eight points, I think, was the total between the two of losses. Um, I love it. I, I think it's fun when Dayton's good. Um, always, Dayton's always kind of like that team. Yeah, you're just... It's fun to root, root for. for. It's not yeah. really a team that... I mean, I guess Xavier and Dayton kind of had the well, rivalry from the yeah. A-10, but unless you're, you know, unless you're a Xavier fan, if you're really an Ohio fan, you know, you, you hope for... You know, a Mac team to do well, or Dayton to do well, right. or you know, uh, and I Cleveland think like State said, or something. I wish we well. could go back, and I know we talked about it earlier. Our show, like our our season preview for Ohio basketball, and they were like way down. I think we had them like middle down the pack of all the schools. So really surprising. And, but. and Toppins now started to work his way into talks of a Wooden Award. Yeah, uh, there are a couple ESPN writers this week that were discussing. You know, it's 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 a stretch, but you know the the A10. Excuse me, last produced a wooden award back in 2004. That was the last time uh, someone from a non-Power 5 won the award. But, I mean, with 19.8 points per game, shooting 62%, 36% from the arc, just under eight rebounds a game. I mean, hard to argue with those stats. Yeah, he's been electric, and he's been, I mean, he's been one of the best, most consistent players in the country. I mean, you look at a lot of these top guys, you know, Vernon Carey, Cassius Winston, you know, mm-hmm. players like that. They have been kind of up and down, and I think Toppin's been one of those guys that's that's really kind of brought it week to week. So, uh, you know, as conference play starts, we'll be interesting to see, one, how long Dayton can keep up this undefeated run, but two, uh, you know, what kind of Ohio teams can get hot at the right time. I can time. see how the whole country works. I feel like every team you can go down the top 25 and be like, they've been up and down, they've been up and down, they've been up and down. I, so I'm I think last week— 
finally five. solidifies themselves over the next you know couple months. Yeah, I think in the last week, five of the top ten AP top ten teams last week lost. Mm-hmm. So something that you know is is crazy. You know, Villanova lost, Oregon lost. I mean, a lot of these teams, Louisville lost. Yeah. I think they lost twice in a row. So. Interesting to see. Uh, there's certainly going to be a lot of should be an up. exciting tournament. Well, and speaking of like evening out a little bit, uh, just before the last time we did like a college basketball roundup in the state, mm-hmm. we talked about the MAC yeah. and how pretty much every MAC basketball school like had yet to lose. Yeah. Well, now just about every MAC basketball school is teetering around 500, except for <laughs> two teams. The MAC is only one game into conference play, uh, but the two teams just happen to be crosstown rivals. And we could see some interesting matchups up in the rubber city of Akron. Mm-hmm. Uh, Akron and Kent State, uh, both 11-3, and three, uh, both undefeated in the conference still. They play each other about a week and a half from now for the first time. Uh, they have the season finale against each other, too. So that could be fun up there for uh, right. you folks up in Akron. Well, I mean, that, those, are, those are the two max schools. You, when you think of basketball, you always think of, like, Akron. And then even Kent State's had some really good years um, in the past. And that's always fun up there. They really get into it, I know, up there. Yeah, both, both those teams, 11-3 uh, and three on the year, undefeated at home, you know, have really been playing well. So we're not going to forget about you, Mac. Maybe do a little Horizon League update at some point. Uh, yeah, we'll get to the Horizon might have, League uh, next might week. Have, might have 30 rack on the road at a Horizon League game next <laughs> Yeah, sure, week, we'll, so we'll do that. We'll see about that. But uh, now we're going to go into some Ohio segments, Josh. Yes, Ohio segments, Ohio segments. Uh, hang on, hang on, hang on. What what is our Ohio segment it's today? Just the oh Browns. yeah, oh, yeah. Oh, we only have one Ohio segment. We're, if any of you have been because it's so ridiculous, living under a rock. Uh, time to change your air filter. Browns fired another coach. What? Uh, time to change your windshield wipers. Browns fired another GM. Change the batteries. Uh, well, I, thought they, I thought batteries. they was mutually. Uh, sorry, mutually departed. <laughs> uh, so Browns finished six and ten. Have the tenth pick in the draft. Fired coach Freddie Kitchens after one year. Uh, he has the third best winning percentage of any uh, full-time head coach since he came back. Right on. Uh, so since the Browns came Hang back, his hat on that uh, one. also parted ways with GM John Dorsey, um, looking to hire a coach first and then work with him to find a GM for. I don't God get this whole. Reason. We can talk about that later because the Skins are doing that. I don't understand. Uh, I don't understand this whole idea. The Skins of, doing we're gonna it. hire later. The Skins doing it is funnier than the Browns. Oh yeah, it's gonna be more of a it's gonna be a trash. Yeah, fire, but hey, draft for us, but you know you're not gonna have the job right in May. But so uh, so far in the Browns coaching search, they have interviewed Mike McCarthy, who already took the Cowboys job. Um, Ravens OC Greg Roman. Chiefs OC Eric Bieniemy and uh, 49ers DC and I believe probably bodybuilder just based on how he looks. Uh, 49ers DC Robert Sala. Uh, current list to interview right now. They have uh, Chris Dable, the uh, OC from Buffalo, uh, ready to interview, I believe, today or tomorrow. And then we'll have uh, Minnesota OC Kevin Stefanski, who was uh, one of the high picks in the running last year. And then um, what has been rumored as the Haslam's top choice, Patriots OC and former almost Colts coach mm-hmm. and former Broncos coach Josh McDaniels. So, what about Eddie Bathroom? Is he gonna? <laughs> so I guess before we get into some of the uh, off the wall suggestions, as far as 
the guys that they have interviewed and have uh, been at their, they are going to interview, guys, who do you think out of this group they're going to hire? I mean, they should hire McCarthy. Yeah, last year. I mean, honestly, though, I mean, I say that as if, like, they wanted him, they were going to get him. Mike's too smart for that. I think he took the... I don't know if that's a safer job. Um, I guess Josh McDaniels, I guess. Yeah, it sounds you, like the McDaniels. You want to go outside the box? No, not outside the box, but I mean, like, it's, he's risky. I mean, he took the Colts job, backed out. Um, he, Denver didn't go well. Yeah, it sounds like, I mean, he's a he's a Canton, He's an Ohio he's kid. He's a Canton guy. He yeah. apparently loved Baker out of college, so um, he has that. Uh, the other one is probably the two that they have, or two of the three that they haven't interviewed yet. Um, Stefanski, from what sources have said, the analytics department last year actually pegged him as their choice, and mm. then it kind of got overridden. I don't know by Dorsey or by Haslam to go to Freddie Kitchens. So, will be interesting. One other nugget with um, Josh McDaniels being high in the running: uh, Aaron Goldhammer, who's a radio host in Cleveland posted that uh, there were odds for where Tom Brady would go if he doesn't return to the Patriots. Browns were number one on that list. That's ridiculous. With Josh McDaniels. So I don't know how that would work. As much as Tom doesn't want to retire, I imagine he would just be like, you know. That's what I'm thinking. I would be like, I I don't know. Uh, What? Does he want to prove he's the greatest? He didn't need Belichick. He's the greatest of all time. What better way than to bring a championship to Cleveland? Browns already have a quarterback. Well, yeah, you let Baker yeah. sit for a year, right. let Tom, <laughs> give Tom a one-year-prove-it deal. Yeah, that, that's the best way to get a quarterback. That's how Cleveland runs. You don't, you don't think the Haslams would consider that at oh, all. Oh, no, they would do it This is heartbeat. why we're only doing one Ohio segment today, because this whole thing is so ridiculous. I, I just don't understand. Can I say one thing when I was hoping was going to do with ahead. the Browns? But, you know, they, the Cowboys interviewed Marvin Lewis, or were going to interview him. I was hoping they would hire him just to see them spend another, like, nine years just getting to the playoffs and then not make, but... All right, so uh, now that we're now that we're into the, I guess, boring head coaches, off you know, former head coaches, OCs, DCs, how about some fun uh, choices for who the Browns should uh, get to? First one we have up, former Ohio State coach Urban Meyer... He Zach, was in the building. He was in the per yeah, rumors. He know, was in yeah. the building. Reports say. Reports sources say. That Urban some Meyer's kid a on Twitter's candidate. brother is like a. I don't know what he does there. Said he was in the building in Berea. Um, Good fit or bad fit or. Urban Meyer's worst a bad fit. fit for any NFL team. Here's why. He's a great college coach because he's a good motivator and a great recruiter. Two things that don't matter when all your players make more than you, and I mean you don't get to recruit. He's not going to get a say. All right, speaking of motivators, we also have, Josh, this one's for you. Former Cincinnati Bengals head coach, Marvin Lewis, who would bring fan favorite head coach, Hugh Jackson, in his no-C. What's your thoughts on Marvin? Uh, yeah, for, well, just a little backstory. First of all, if he brought backstory. Hugh Jackson back as this, he would be the greatest, most Browns thing ever. Oh, no, 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 no. That, this was an actual thing. Marvin Lewis reportedly mm-hmm. told the Cowboys that his offensive coordinator would have to be Hugh Jackson, nobody else. Like I heard Jerry Jen just laughed. Is like right. The door's right there. Just get into the building before you start making this thing. <laughs> exactly. So I don't know what other kind of insane demands Marvin Lewis is making in these uh, in these meetings, but I would love to see. Oh, the he's going to bring Dandy in. He's going to bring Dandy Andy in with his other. See the Browns hire Marvin Lewis. That would be hilarious. Oh, that'd be, that hey, they'd be make so it to the good. playoffs. Yeah, they would. Maybe. Maybe. Well. 
speaking of a guy who knows playoffs and knows hurting quarterbacks and bounty gate in the playoffs, former Browns coach that has had, according to him, hundreds of job offers to be an NFL head coach, Greg Williams. He's a good defensive coordinator. I highly doubt he's had hundreds of jobs. And I don't think he'll get a job because of the bounty gate. And he's known to be difficult to work with. Uh, Yeah. Very difficult. Speaking of retreads, for the Browns, Josh, last coach to take the Browns to the playoffs, FIU head coach and former Miami head coach, Butch Davis. Uh, That would actually be great because, you know, you'd get to return to some... Full um, circle. Yeah, that's a better way. That's a better way of saying it. I was going to say return to glory, but that's a that's a better way of saying it. So I think you could make a little history there. What about Marty Schottenheimer? Uh, My last pick, former Brown. Uh, I think he may have coached for a couple years. He's a former defensive back for the Browns. I think he works at CBS. William Cower, Bill Bill Cower. How, how do we feel about that? That's gosh, that only in my dreams. That's disgusting. That'd be hilarious. First of all, that'd be that would be awesome. I like that move. He, I like that. No, Bill Cower would be better fit to play Voldemort in a Harry Potter spinoff movie. I mean, you wouldn't know. Well, honestly, you don't. No that's that's the least crazy. Really, you don't. You wouldn't. Bill Cower. I, it would be a he great. Hates the Steelers, it would so. be a great fit. I don't hate the Steelers. I just hate Bill Cowher. Uh, oh my God, get over, dude! It'd be a great fit. You I just don't want to. I just don't want to deal with that again in the in the division. Maybe somewhere else, not in this division. That's the exactly face? what you I don't want. The yeah, face. The face. I don't, yeah, I don't the want snarl. the face. I don't want the snarl. Why is Marty Schottenheimer? He looks like a fat, that. angry cat when he does that. I don't like it. It makes me uncomfortable. We want to talk about going back to the glory days. Schottenheimer, eighty-four what? to eighty-eight, former Browns coach. Are you out of your mind? How old is Marty Schottenheimer? Yeah, he, I looked it up. He is, he's not that old. What is, really? Uh, I got to pull up right here. 76, 76. He's, no, there's no way he's less than 105. He's seven. I know. I thought he was 96. Uh, I didn't know if he was still alive, honestly. He's 76. You can Wikipedia it. I'm glad you Wikipedia it. <laughs> yeah, so you didn't thank, try to kill Marty. Thank, thank you for that. I was going to say, how are you going to do that? Like, Weekend and Bernie's thing? Or like, what? Dude, Tom Coughlin's like 76 and he still wants to hang around. That's true. That's... Alrighty, so we'll, we'll talk about that later. See if he comes back. <laughs> we'll be sure to keep no you updated way. on the Browns head coaching surge or search and my um, my sadness because of it and uh, the probable seven and nine season that's coming up. But uh, let's get back into something a little bit happier. Well, we need some refills. Beer. beer, beer. I love beer. You know, we've got like happy beer news too. We got great beer news. Uh, a lot of people probably like were totally unaware. That there was a chance that beer, craft beer, was going to get a lot more expensive. And uh, we have been saved from that, thankfully. Um, Craft beer's already expensive, my man. Well, it was going to get even more expensive uh, without this this, uh, bill. Um, I know there's been a lot of uh, negativity out of D.C. in the past week. Here's one good thing that D.C. accomplished this week. They renewed the craft beverage modernization and tax reform act which has allowed smaller scale alcohol producers to keep their prices lower it was extended for another year it was supposed to expire this year those are words it'll be extended for another year so here's what this does there was a tax of 350 per barrel on the first 60,000 barrels of beer um, or wine that you made and without this extension of this act, that tax would have gone from three fifty and doubled to seven dollars. So this story uh, out of Dayton Daily News, they talked to some guys from Warped Wing Brewery, which I don't think we've had on the show yet. 
They said they we'd been waiting for this, uh, then they planned for it in their strategic budgeting um, because it will affect things like, do you give raises to employees? Do you buy new equipment? And like, are you gonna eat that? Or are you gonna, mm. or are you gonna increase the price of your beer? And with a double in tax, that yeah. would be quite the increase. So there are a few, there are very few breweries in I know Southwest Ohio and probably very few in Ohio that brew more than sixty thousand barrels. So mm-hmm. this is a great thing. It is only renewed for one more year, but it keeps that tax low, keeps our beer cheap. I'm happy if Washington just keeps passing that law. We're good. Yeah, they did one. They they, they did one good thing this week, I guess. Hey, so cheaper the beer, the better. That's what we always say, but. You know what's even better? Well, maybe not quite as good as beer, but close to as good as beer. A little bit of wild card weekend, Josh. A little bit of wild card weekend, uh, and I guess you could call that breaking news since it just happened, so I guess you need some breaking news music, don't you? All right, over the weekend we had four, honestly, all four really good wild card weekend mm-hmm. games. Um, on Saturday in the AFC, Houston beat Buffalo at home 22-19 in overtime later that night. Tennessee and Ryan Tannehill upset Brady and the Patriots 20-13. Where on Sunday, Kirk Cousins said, you like that, to New Orleans and the Saints Can't as they them. beat him 26-20 in overtime. Seattle, Russ Wilson and them boys able to beat a mostly Carson Wentzless and pretty much uh, first-string talentless Philadelphia Eagles 17-9. This is the second year in a row that three road teams have won on Wild Card Weekend. Uh, last year, all four Wild Card Weekend teams lost in the divisional round. Nice timing there. Yeah, good job. So I guess going after these games... Um, I mean, four really good games and a lot to talk about from all four of these. But I guess my first question would be, do you think any of these teams have a chance to make it to the Super Bowl? Because no team that has played in this week has been to the Super Bowl since the Baltimore Ravens in 2011. Is that so? Really? Yeah. Wow. Interesting. Um, I mean, that was kind of like after like a rash, like the Packers won from the wild card, the Steelers. Uh, yeah. That's true, yeah. Interesting. Um, I don't know, Josh, do you have an opinion first? Um, yeah, I kind of have to agree with history on this one is that I don't really have a whole lot of confidence um, in any of those teams. Uh, I thought the Saints could could have could have made a run there, but mm-hmm. the Saints somehow. The every, I don't uh, know how you do that, but. I feel I feel for the people in New Orleans. That that really sucks. I'm sorry, but um, yeah, there's really I could see the Titans maybe being a dark horse, or excuse me, the Texans. Um, mm-hmm. That would be uh, my pick. Yeah, the the Titans too, um, but more the more the Texans. Um, Zach, you're gonna love my pick. Probably I would say tops would be Seattle, Seattle yeah. just because. A lot of weird stuff happens when the Seahawks and the Packers oh, play. Oh, I know, I know, I know. It, it's too... I, also, <laughs> so frustrating. I think Tennessee, just with their ability to run the ball, I know the Ravens are going to be a tough team, but able to beat Brady and the Patriots. Uh, one more interesting stat, speaking of that 2011 Baltimore team, that was also the only time since 2003, the 2003 Super Bowl, 2002 season, that a team will come out of the AFC this year without Brady, Manning, or Big Ben as the quarterback. So only one team since 2003 
has come out without one of those three at quarterback, that's and then the, it'll happen again this year with the uh, Baltimore team. Yeah, with, Flacco. Yep, it was the Flacco Baltimore team that uh, had the big catch over uh, Denver, uh, able to upset Manning and the Patriot or Manning and the Broncos. So, mm-hmm. uh, kind of a new crop of quarterbacks. So, yeah. if there's a year that you know a team can sneak up, maybe it's on you know Lamar Jackson who has struggled, you know, did struggle in his only playoff start, and Pat Mahomes who's kind of been up and down. But uh, yeah, I think I think the we'll Texans. Be interesting. I think the Texans can beat the Chiefs. I think that's a winnable game for the for the Houston Texans. I don't think the Titans have the defense to deal with no, both Mark Ingram and, and Lamar. Lamar Jackson. I think I, I hate to say it, but uh, they broke my heart so many times. I think Seattle. I don't know. They're pesky, and you know Green Bay's not what it was playoff time. I mean, I did check out the ten day to see what the Sunday's forecast looks like. Uh, it's supposed to be. 25 degrees and it's supposed to snow all morning up to the game so that adds a little bit but um yeah so just uh just so uh all of you are up to uh the divisional matchups uh saturday starts off at a four i believe it's 4 30 matchup uh, minnesota at san francisco yeah with the late matchup being tennessee at baltimore then a 305 game houston at kansas city on sunday with the late game being seattle at green bay to finish off Mm -hmm. Which should be hopefully a pretty interesting uh, divisional weekend, you know, with with the way the uh, the wild card round kind of shaped up. I know we kind of glossed over it going into who can win, but a lot of really good games. I mean, two overtime games, uh, you know, all one possession victories. Uh, Philadelphia had a chance late to try to score, even after the uh, Carson Wentz injury forced Josh McCowan to get in. So. Honestly, a, a really good weekend of football and something that, you know, you love to see, even though you don't know how much it'll mean next week, but at least cool to see, you know, some good games and some mm-hmm. unexpected results. It, yeah, it was extremely entertaining. Yeah. Um, I did, and you brought up Josh McCowan, and I, he did I'd probably give us the most heartbreaking scene. Uh, yeah. um, dude kind of, yeah, like kind of hit him. Had one of those moments where it wasn't really all real on the field and all just was at the door to the locker room and just kind of like hit him all of a sudden and like it's rough to see those I guess fan bases not so much the Eagles but like the Saints especially and Mm -hmm. I didn't want to say this to you Zach but yeah I feel like the Packers are going to get heartbroken next week I mean I'm excited for the Packers I do not think the Seahawks can make the Super Bowl but I do think they win next week there's a Packers always four or five plays every game there's four or five plays where you're like that's a blowout if they hit on those and not a lot it's Rodgers I'm just hoping maybe an extra week this it'll click because if they click yeah because the one thing make a run the one thing is the Seattle offense I mean I know they played some some tough defenses but they have not looked good obviously you know uh Marshawn Lynch hasn't been you know uh exactly super acclimated only playing two weeks so they don't have a whole lot in the run game you know um i mean they only put up 17 points you know mm-hmm. really if Wentz doesn't get hurt you don't know how much you know that changes uh obviously there was the clowny hit on Wentz, mm-hmm. uh you know running out of the pocket after kind of a, a blown up screen looked to be kind of a dirty hit by him you know helmet into the ground <laughs> yeah. You know, I think one of the ways I heard, I think I heard Golik and Wingo talk about this, you know, with Carson Wentz, it's not that he's, I don't think injury prone, but sometimes he puts himself in these situations where, right. you know, diving into the end zone. And at that point, you know, a lot of times on a first down screen in the first quarter where, mm-hmm. you know, nothing's happening, 
just throw it into the guy's feet. Well, and, you know, it's, it's tough to, it's tough to kind of, you know, look, you know, hindsight's twenty twenty, but it's tough when you put yourself in that many situations. Yeah. I mean, they, like you were saying, I remember I was listening earlier and they brought up good points on Golik and Wingo about, uh, when you're watching that game or, you know, you're watching Seattle, you know, it's Wilson versus Wentz and kind of the difference, like they're talking about, you know, Russell, he's going to not only pick up three yards and he slides, you know, it's kind of that having that idea where you're talking about like Wentz is like every play, like it's the last drive and you're trying to pick up every yard. Um, I think it's hard for guys like Wentz. I like his fire. I think he, you know, is one of those guys who wants to leave it all on the field, but you got to realize, you know, I got to be there next series. Even if I don't pick up the first down and we have to punt, sometimes you just have to do that instead of putting yourself in these positions where, these are big dudes flying around. They're going to hit you and hit you hard. And, I mean, I think at the end of the day, when you, like you said, when you put yourself in those positions, it's going to happen. So definitely a difficult year for Philly with so many injuries, but, you know, able to get to the playoffs. And for Josh McCowan, I think that the fun little story that was going around with him was he handed off to Emmett Smith on his last touchdown carry in 2004 <laughs> through Larry Fitzgerald's first touchdown pass, and that was his first time ever appearing in a playoff game. He yeah. was Jake DeLum's backup in Carolina for a little while when they went to the playoffs, but his first time, you know, coming out of retirement, uh, there was a cool story about him. He was still the quarterback's coach for his son's football team, So, and his sons were both, I think, one's like the JV quarterback or the backup quarterback, mm-hmm. one's like a freshman quarterback. But he would fly back during Mondays to help install and fly back for Fridays to the game and then also fly back to Philly to, you know, be the backup quarterback. So certainly, you know, I mean, though a a difficult situation, it's cool that he at least got the moment Mm -hmm. to finally get in, whether or not, you know, it's in the best situation. But it was definitely cool to see a guy kind of put everything out there. So uh, fun wild card weekend should be very fun to see I don't want to try to encroach on one of our segments but do we want to do some pickums at least on these games uh, yeah we can do some pickums yeah i mean i, th- I think we sh- certainly should uh let's start off i guess saturday uh minnesota at san francisco um minnesota of course with the upset win san francisco was able to get the one seed i, I- San Francisco, right? I decided that defense is just dominant. Uh, I like what I've seen out of Jimmy G. I guess first real big stage, but I, San Francisco, I feel like that's the big lock for me. Yeah, I feel like that, that would be my only caveat is that San Francisco on the big stage, um, it's been a, been a little bit for them. Um, Sorry, for, looking for this earlier, uh, San, San Francisco opens up as a seven-point favorite at home. So, Yeah, I mean, yeah. Uh, especially first big stage for uh, Jimmy G. Um, so... But yeah, I, I can't. I can't find a reason to no. s- to not pick San Francisco. Um, I think yeah, probably San Francisco. And, and, and you know, if I were a betting man, which I may or may not be, who knows? Uh, You're probably. Ta- hey, <laughs> hey, maybe. <laughs> uh, probably take 49ers in the points. Uh, coming off an emotional win and then having to go to another hostile environment and go, you know, all the way to the West Coast. That's a lot, especially having to play a Sunday game than a Saturday game. Mm-hmm. In the late game, the eight fifteen game on Saturday, Titans at Ravens. Uh, Ravens, the number one seed, finished off fourteen and two. Have not lost in forever since they lost a home game to the Browns. Baltimore at nine point favorites. Josh, are you going with in this game? I'm sorry, which game is this? Uh, Titans, Baltimore. 
Unprofessional. Sorry, I'm getting, Unprofessional. I'm getting set for the next segment. Oh, uh, Baltimore. Eas- easily. I, like I said earlier, I just don't think... Uh, I think very few teams, mm-hmm. not just the Titans, I think very yeah. few teams have the uh, stout enough defense to deal with Ingram and Jackson. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go. I'm going to go sexy pick. I'm going to go Tennessee. I'm going to take Rabel and the boys. Um, I'd love to see it. I would say probably Baltimore. Unfortunately, I would love to pick with you because I oh, have no, a strong reckless for uh, Baltimore. But I will say probably if I had to take the pick for me, once again, not being a de- degenerate gambler that I know of, uh, the over-under here is 47 and a half. Both offenses can score, but both yeah. offenses love to run the ball. So expect a quick game, a lot of running, mm-hmm. a lot of time to come off the clock. I would take the under 47 and a half. Mm. Starting off with the Sunday game, um, Texans at Chiefs. Uh, Chiefs are actually the biggest favorite of Wild Card Weekend, 305 on Sunday, nine and a half point favorites at home against the Texans. And uh, the newly healthy J.J. Watt, who are you taking in that game, Zach? Again, I'm going to go a little crazy. I'm going to go Houston. I don't know. You don't know where you're going to get out J.J. Watt, but um, I feel like he's a guy who's just itching to go. And I don't know something about Kansas City. I really like them. They have a better defense this year, but I, I don't know. I don't know if I trust them. Uh, yeah, I'm going to go with uh, Houston right now has a ton of momentum mm-hmm. on their side to fight back after that. First off, right. we're talking about teams that I was sorry for. I'm so sorry, Buffalo. Mm-mm. I'm so, so sorry. But, yeah, uh, yeah I, I like where Houston's at right now. You got Watt back. Uh, Watson finally stepped up in a big mm-hmm. game. Um, I, I think they've got the momentum going yeah. into this. It's going to be tough. Oh, yeah. It's going to be mean, real tough. Um, and they're going to have to stick in there and win it at the end, I think. But I, I like Houston. I hate to be the wet blanket here, but I, you don't know what you're going to get. Gross. Um, <laughs> oh, <laughs> Texans are a much different team without Will Fuller. You saw that in the first half. Uh, yeah. The Buffalo was just – the Bills were just not able to put their uh, foot on the throat of the Texans. If Will Fuller plays, I could see this game being close. But for right now, if he is still banged up in that playing, I think Chiefs big. I think the Chiefs get up big early. Maybe a big play to Tyreek Hill or uh, you know some of their other mm-hmm. big playmakers. And I would probably take them by double digits as hey, much as I would hey, hate Zach, to say that. Zach, look at us. Look at us. Hey, hey look at us. Dr- hey, dreamers right here. Dream. Look at us. You go ahead with your easy pick there. Yeah. All it's right. A gambling man over here. In the final game of the divisional slate, Seahawks at Packers in Lambeau, 640 on Fox, Green Bay, four point favorites. Zach, who are you taking? I mean, as an owner, I don't feel like I have a choice. I should have to take, you know, the Packers. No, I, you know, I am. I'm going to be positive. I'm, uh, this, they're going to put it all together, Greg. Aaron's going to have a big game. Uh, both Aaron's. A-Rod and A-Jones going to have big games. I think Mike Penton's defense comes in. You know, Russell's going to get some, some of his yards. You know, that bend don't break, but I think they're going to force a couple turnovers. It's going to go the Packers' way. Josh? Uh, it's going to be a weird game. Zach's going to be really upset afterwards. I like Seahawks by maybe three. <laughs> Money line for that game is Seahawks plus 175, which means for every $100 you bet, you would win $175. Sign me up. So on that, I will say Marshawn runs over some people. DK runs past some people. Mm -hmm. Russ Wilson. Russ Wilson's 
and a weird thing happens. There's a controversy. There's, there's going to be catch. something weird. There's an onside kick. Something hits. There's a double doink. Honestly, I can't remember the last Packers playoff game that wasn't weird. They had a couple Cowboys playoff games where, like, Rodgers made some throws, and there was the Des Bryant phantom that he catch it. I don't oh, know the yeah. last time the Packers have played in a playoff game. But anyways, Seahawks, money line. Uh, maybe an alternate line. We'll see what we can get on those odds. But, <laughs> oh, uh, man. You're I'm digging, bit, digging I'm, deep for it. I've been digging for alternate lines recently, but digging deep here, not quite as much action here. A little bit more of a lukewarm storm than a hot stove, but we're going to move into the MLB mm. hot stove. Yeah, it's really really settled down now. Yeah. Um, unless, hey. unless you're the Chicago White Sox. Yes. Or the Nats. Or the Nats, yeah. So Nats the, uh, the two big deals coming out of the hot stove, uh, Hinjin Ryu uh, goes to Toronto, four years, $80 million. Uh, and then another pitcher, Dallas Keuchel, goes to the aforementioned White Sox, mm-hmm. three years, $55.5 million. Uh, some of the top free agency, some of the top free agents remaining, Josh Donaldson, Marcelo Zuna, Nicholas Castellanos. And Castellanos has been linked to the Rangers recently, so we'll see what happens there. Rangers have been linked to everybody. Uh, True. Yeah, b- bunch <laughs> of stuff. Uh, going on the Ohio side of things, not a whole lot of action in the state of Ohio, but just a little bit so far. Uh, Indians. Uh, agreed to a one-year deal with Cesar Hernandez, $6.25 million. Mm-hmm. And then there have been a lot of talk about uh, uh, Reds coming to an agreement. I believe a physical was today with uh, Japanese outfielder Shogo Akiyama. Akiyama is a 31-year-old. Uh, uh, he played in the Japanese league for the Satyama Cebu Lions. He hit uh, 303 with 20 home runs. And 62 RBIs in just under 600 at bats last year. So, some things happening on both sides. Maybe not the most flashy deals, you know, with a 30 plus year old outfielder and a, a second baseman. For I'm a excited deal, for the Hernandez deal. I think people are really, yeah. I mean, it's not flashy by any means. It's a one year, one year deal, six million. Um, he's played with the Phillies the last few years, but I mean. One thing he can provide, he's an on-base guy. He has never had a below a 340 OBP or one year. One year he did. Um, but otherwise, he's – you know, the Indians, last time the Indians – I was trying to think about this for the last several months. What's the last time the Indians just had a traditional on-base guy, a guy who hits for – you know, he makes contact, 270 here. He's not going to hit for a lot of power. He's got some speed. Grady Sizemore? No. No, Grady was a different type of uh, – Sin Ken- Shu Chu? No, that's my point. It's like Kenny Lofton. That's what the last guy could really come to. Um, and he plus he's he's a solid second baseman. He he's put it this way. Over the last two years, he's been a pretty decent upgrade over what Jason Kipnis has brought to the yeah, table. Yeah, Kipnis has not been great the last couple and, of years. And now you get to keep uh, Jose at third. I think it settles the infield. Um, yeah, it's not sexy. I'm not saying that puts him over the top by any means. But I think it's a little better deal than than people think. It's a little under the radar. Yeah, I like and I like most of the red signings too so far. I'd like mm. to see I'd yeah. really like to see one more. You really I, I think if you can move send Nick Senzel out of center field to shortstop successfully, yeah. then I mean that's that's what he's played for the most part. I mean, we moved him out of that position to center mm-hmm. field. If we can bring him back successfully, I'm not gonna be as worried about it. But yeah. boy, you're leaving yourself thin on the left side of the infield. I um I just want to throw this in and get out of the way of you two, but uh, there have been some running, there have been some rumblings that once the Akiyama deal goes through, so they have a second or they have a center fielder, then 
the Reds might be more open to moving Senzel to Cleveland in a uh, potential Francisco <laughs> yes. Lindor trade. What are your guys' thoughts on that? I'll Here's my right thing on way. that: is that I'm okay with that, but I don't think mm. you need to sell Greg's. You're don't don't you're trying to set us each of us <laughs> up for an aneurysm right now, and it's not going to work. I, I don't like it. No, no, I, I don't like it if it's a if it's a huge deal. I don't want to give up Nick Senzel, Tyler Malley, and three prospects. That's for, that's what it should for be. Lindor. No, that Lindor is a once. Sorry. He is a he is a superstar. He is a generational player. So the fact that anybody's like, oh, the Indians should just get like one prospect in a major league. No, no, no. If the Indians and they're being smart, there's no reason they got two years left. I'm saying unless you're getting two MLB ready players and probably your two or three top prospects, I don't even want it. I could I could maybe be okay if you did Nick Senzel, who is basically like he's a he was a rookie last year. Nick Senzel, Tyler Malley, and maybe one other prospect. Oh, so, man. So, we're, so okay. we're looking at uh, Otherwise, it's too over They're the not going to get the for deal. One, for, but, but it's not worth it for the no, control. No, I get it. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. The Reds can't do it. Like, the Dodgers make sense. The Dodgers have the prospects and the money to re-sign probably the Probably the deal would start. Because the one thing is uh, there was uh, some talk about the Mookie Betts deal yeah. for the Dodgers. And I said the one that, thing about yeah. the Dodgers is they don't want – they're not asking for all the same top prospects that the Indians are. Probably a starting point would be um, blanking here, but Senzel, the top pick last year from TCU, and probably another top prospect, either um, one of their top outfielders or like a Hunter Green. So, I mean, the thing is, the Indians won, and that's their point. Is you know they're trying to replicate what the Cardinals replicated through the early late two thousands was. When you go into these little rebuilds, they're not full rebuilds. So they want high end. They want triple A. Got a lot of guys here one two years away at most. Um, I, I don't think the Reds have it. That's what I'm saying. I think they're going to hold on to them. I don't think I've said that. You know, they said they told the Yankees. The Yankees are obviously wanted them, but Gleyber they didn't want to put Torres in. They said no deal. And yeah, we look. We both said from the beginning when we started when we were touching on this a couple weeks ago, or I guess a month ago now. Yeah. Is that we didn't think they would move Lindor, Mm-mm. and at least not till the season started. Yeah, maybe and, and the, the one deadline. thing, yeah, the one thing is, I mean, maybe not even the deadline, maybe early in the season, because you see some teams, especially that expect to compete, they mm-hmm. start off a little bit sluggish, and then you make a panic move. And right. sometimes when you make a panic move, you're willing to give up more than you would in the off season when you have a yeah maybe a more optimistic I mean, view the Indians of your season. Usually, win their trade, they do. They're good at fleecing. Uh, they're not gonna just give them up. Yeah, I mean they've got you know they've got because they still really believe and they do because the divisions. I mean the White Sox have improved. The Twins won it last year, but they're God, the still White in Sox. the mix. They're the still Twins in the mix. have kind of been up. I mean up and down. They got yeah. uh, what they got. Uh, Homer Bailey. So I think the Indians are content into <laughs> giving it a Bailey. shot. Homer. <laughs> no, I think I think we could maybe see if a Lindor trade midway through the season, like at the deadline, if things align. Mm-hmm. I still would not be shocked just because we've seen it so many times before. If you saw a three-way or even larger type of thing the Indians are between good. Cleveland, yeah. Cincinnati, and L.A., that could seen be that an plenty option. of times. Oh, yeah. I mean, the Indians and have had a, Indian Reds have had a couple threes. The Indians are always in three-ways. They love threesomes. So. All right. So uh, before we get into uh, one more contest, but what we might have up here is uh, – Maybe an over under. Maybe we all pick a date for when we think Lindor might be traded. Maybe the over under is oh, man. July first of this year. Maybe over. maybe he's going to be here for. All right, 
So maybe we have something like I that coming up. I don't think they'll trade before July 1st. But that'll come up probably closer to the beginning of the year. Uh, you know, we're just about a month, month and a half away from pitchers and catchers reporting. So excited, baseball excited. right around the corner. But speaking of contests, we go to our college bowl pick em. Uh For any of you that didn't listen to our last episode of 30 Rack, uh, the three of us here did a little college football pick 'em. We all picked the winners of the bowl games. Uh, we weighted the, so all the bowl games were worth one point. New Year's Six Bowls were worth two points. College football playoff games were worth three points. And uh, the national championship was worth five points. You can see our full rundown. It's pinned at the top of our Twitter page at 30 Rack Podcast. So uh, we'll start off at the bottom of the list. Unfortunately, <laughs> Zach, I rode that Buckeye train and rough I got Buckeye train. Yeah. Uh, Zach at twenty-two points. Uh, didn't 19, get a, you 19. didn't get a bang for your Buckeye there. The SEC has it out for me. The SEC officiating. Yeah. So Zach, uh, twenty-two points, uh, nineteen and nineteen on his picks. But the big issue, uh, you know, uh, New Year's basically weighted bulls. New Year's six in college football playoff. Zach was two and four coming in in the middle. At 28 points is myself, Greg, with a 21 and 17 record, but the best New Year's Six in college football record, college football playoff record at five and one, and leading with a 30 point total, 25 and 13 in this bowl season, four and two in the New Year's Six, Josh. But with me only being two points behind Josh and only two bowl games left. It will come down to the college football championship. Josh has LSU winning it all. I have Clemson winning it all. So it's a little Tigers versus Tigers to see who wins the pick em. Uh, tweet us at 30 Rack of Sports. Uh, what should the winner get? Zach, any thoughts? Uh, what should the winner get? We should probably figure out what the loser gets. I think the loser should. We should. Loser has to wear a dress out to a bar. <laughs> on a Friday night, I think like Elsa. That's funny dressed, coming yeah. from the loser, the current loser right now. That that's. Uh, oh, I meant no, no. I'm out. I'm out. I'm oh, out. I meant like oh, between you two because oh. it's down to the national championship game, right? I, I will say that Greg and I have a history of we once had to sack race uh, for for a tiebreaker. Oh, I'm sorry to bring that up. Guys. Oh, I remember that <laughs> the sack make, race. I remember I, that. <laughs> that that cut uh, deep into Greg. That did. He's gonna have to take um, a, take a five, Greg. Take a five. What should the winner get? Hey, Josh. Oh, right. Greg took a shot, by the way. Oh, ooh. We, well, I don't think just, to, that was, we there, We went to full video, like, review for that, for that sack We race. did, yeah, we had yeah, video. That was intense. I think man. I was, this was for fantasy. This was for fantasy football. I was the officiant And we that. didn't have a tiebreaker yeah. set up, so we sack raced I for screwed it. Greg like the SEC screwed me, so. Uh, All right, no. He let, didn't make a football move. Let me, no, let me have a discussion. A sack race would Describe maybe a potato sack or a sack of beans oh, or whatever. God. This was a trash bag race. And if you don't know, <laughs> if you are jumping with such intensity and you have such large calves that just work right. the bag so much. You do have the calves of a horse. Sometimes the shoe goes through the trash bag. And I got DQ'd for that. You should have, as you should have. It might have been one of the worst calls in no, all of sports no, history. No. You leaned into it. You, yeah. Maybe. The review got it right. 
Anyway, we'll we'll decide. I, I do like that. Uh, losers should have to do something, and winners should well, maybe we get have, something. I don't we know. We have one more uh, podcast, so maybe we can discuss it next Sunday on Thirty Rack Sports. Be sure to tune in. If you have any suggestions, we'd love to hear them. Tweet us at Thirty Rack Podcast. Facebook us. Also at Thirty Rack Podcast. Also at Thirty Rack Podcast. Tag us in a tweet. Call us. Please actually don't call us, but... Please do not call do us not because call that, us. that would be me. Please do not call me. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, let us know. We would love to hear all of your uh, possibilities. Um, I don't know where I'd find a dress to wear to a bar. I'm sure some of you with significant I know, others... I know my wife. roommate Joe has an Elsa dress because he went oh, as Elsa true, to yeah. Halloween a couple years ago. So we, we can get you one. All right, well, if, if that's the case, then that's the case. We will figure it out. Uh, we would love to hear your suggestions. Maybe put a poll up. Um, sticking with bowl games, we are going to go to the rest of the week. Wait, I thought we were doing Super Bowl pick. No, we're going to do the best and worst of college football first. Oh, okay. So first we have our best and worst College football games Jump. of this bowl season. Jumping the gun over there, you, no, e- you eager beaver. At least the copy I had of the, the get out of here. He sheet. Hey, I'm the host. I run this. Okay. You're upsetting the talent. <laughs> yeah, you're upsetting the talent. Okay, Greg. I you, you guys already made me walk away one time. All right, all right. Well, the ver- the the worst. Go go on with the worst. So we're gonna go. Uh, we're each gonna point out our best and worst bowl games of the season. Zach, going to you. What do you All have right. as your best and worst bowl games? I'll still go to the Fiesta Bowl. Went better for Ohio State this time, and I, you know, it, lived, it was out of the two playoff games. That was, that was the hype. That's why I've been saying that was the de facto national title. I think Clemson's going to win it. Just in case anybody really cared, no one does. Um, I do. Ro- I number, you know, not necessarily in any order, uh, but the Rose Bowl obviously was uh, again another Big Ten team dominates, but. Wisconsin turned the ball over. Some questionable again play calling there, um, but that was that was really that was that was probably the most fun, honestly. That was a blast. Um, and then the Outback, uh, Minnesota Auburn. I just you know PJ Fleck, what he's done there. I, if you told me at the beginning of the year Minnesota's going to play Auburn, I'd be like, oh, they're going to be blown out. Um, big win there. Um, I got, yeah, it's fun to see some teams in the Big Ten West finally you know get right. up. It's good for the conference in general. It is good for the conference, and I think it's. Exciting for what PJ Flex got going. I think he does have something there. Um, my two worst, real quick. Uh, Peach Bowl, obviously. LSU, Oklahoma. That was that was a rough one to watch. And then the Camping World Bowl. Notre Dame, thirty-three. ISU, nine. Just a really boring game. I hate Notre Dame. Just I don't know. All around, just it, a very kind of uh, bowl game. Honestly, for for a game that was on at the same time as the uh, the Cotton Bowl, which yeah. was a back and forth, you know, yeah. Memphis was in it till till very late. Mm-hmm. Just kind of one of those games that you don't even remember. Yeah. Uh, going to me before we get to Josh, um, I agree with you. The Rose Bowl was was a great game, and I think one of the things that's also, I mean, just that SoCal, you know, seeing the mm-hmm. the sunset there, that's- the way they paint the Rose Bowl with the two colors is always so cool. Yeah. Uh, it's the Oregon, the I know, has been called out for their helmets, but seeing the sunset kind of reflect off there. I mean, just like the visuals of it was just so much fun always to watch. Always the best. Rose Bowl always the um, best. My other favorite bowl was uh, the Frisco Bowl. Uh, <laughs> seeing Kent State mm-hmm. win over Utah State was just, I mean, it was just a points fiesta. It was fun. You know, 92 total points, over 1,000 total yards. 
I mean, just it's fun. It, sometimes it's fun to kind of see one of those shootouts. Mm-hmm. It's like, whoa, you know, what's going to happen next? Yeah. Um, on the other end of the spectrum, uh, worst bowls, uh, probably the worst bowl of bowl season, according to me, was the Independence Bowl. Uh, Louisiana Tech beat the U, Miami, 14 to nothing. There were four turnovers, three by UM, 16 punts, and less than 600 total yards. And I think there was a string of, I believe, 10 or 11 possessions that were either turnovers or punts or, or, or end of the half. Yeah. I mean, it was just one of those bowls where I remember, I think I fell asleep during like the middle of it. <laughs> And it was seven did. to nothing, and then I woke up and it was still seven to nothing. I mean, so. as someone who remembers the end of the Miami dynasty, I still love loves just seeing the embarrassment that they are. So now. it's just, I mean, gosh, you just like I, I even picked Miami in this game. I was like, yeah, you know, they'll they'll respond to some degree. The other one that I had was though it was kind of an interesting game at the end. Uh, it was one that I was flipping back and forth as I was watching the Birmingham Bowl. The Gator Bowl, Tennessee over IU, it was six to three at halftime. Beginning of the second half was a touchdown by Indiana and then a pick six by Indiana to go up twenty-two to uh, six, and then Tennessee needed two late touchdowns to win. So not only was it Ugh. garbage football, some turnovers, <laughs> and then it was just a late heartbreak for I mean, we're Midwest guys, we're yeah. Big Ten guys, so yeah. kind of heartbreak for yeah. Big Ten. So Kind of all of the worst of bowl season. (laughs) I like your list. That was a good one. Uh, Josh, what do you have? Uh, For best, I had uh, what you had, actually. Uh, The Rose Bowl. I just... Mm -hmm. The atmosphere at the Rose Bowl is unbeatable, I think. Oh, yeah. Like, even the national championship game or the the Cotton Bowl or the Idaho Potato Bowl, you know, throw as many French fries onto a blue (laughs) field as you want. You're not matching the atmosphere of the Rose Bowl. Um. And it was just a great game. Yeah, uh, ducks. Let's go. That was I had the ducks. That was very exciting. Um, and then yeah, the Frisco Bowl it was great to see Kent State, and that was uh, like a shootout game like that. Oh, uh, the worst. Um, I've got the Alamo Bowl. The Alamo Bowl. Oh, was uh, that the Texas between like- Texas and number eleven Utah uh, who blanked, yeah. blanked. Uh, Longhorns uh, dominated the eleven win Utah Utes, thirty eight to ten. Um, I don't get that, that frust- conference. Yeah, I don't get that, the Pac-12 at all. I didn't. I didn't watch that game. That, that, I had Utah. Not that I'm a degenerate gambler, once again, but I had Utah minus six and a half in the Pac-12 championship. So I will never trust Utah again. <laughs> they're in. They're in my graveyard right now, as far as gambling. They're they, in my not. Not that I gamble, but gambling. Yeah. Graveyard. Okay. Uh, well, Texas. The Texas defense was just shutting down the Utes. Um, and then on one of the five. Uh, Utah punts in the first half. Deshaun Jamison, he pulled off a 71-yard punt return for a touchdown, mm-hmm. and it just like even further sucked the life out of that Utah Utes game. And to me, it was a perfect example of how the Big 12 and the Pac-12 can be so misleading because those conferences football-wise what, what are just What do you such make up mess. of those conferences? After bowl season, those are the two conferences I'm still like, I don't know. You had Oregon beat Wisconsin. You're like, whoa, that's impressive. Yeah. And then or- you had Utah Oregon's about the, bed, the only one. And then Oklahoma craps the bed, but then Texas plays a great— I, so, I don't know. I will say, overall, uh, just to put a bow on this, the worst of bowl season, I believe since the Pac-12 has started— a conference championship game. Mm-hmm. The loser of the conference championship game is Ofer in bowl games afterwards. So you can just tell it just falls off. Yeah. 
But the best, and I'm sure we all can agree on this, is bath celebrations for coaches in these bowl games. <laughs> you used to Gatorade baths. You used to water baths. No. Now we're talking about bowl baths. Coach Herm Edwards of Arizona State in the Tony the Tiger Sun Bowl gets a bath of Frosted Flakes. The Ohio coach... Frank Solich. Frank Solich. Thank you. I've been blinking on him the entire <laughs> night. Frank Solich in the famous Idaho Potato Bowl gets a bath of French fries and I believe eats a couple off his shoulder. They were good-looking fries. The yeah. best coach move of all time. Would love to see that in every bowl. I don't know how you get a Birmingham Bowl shower. I don't know how you get a Franklin American Mortgage shower. Maybe just some Free paper. mortgages. <laughs> Although I guess they're not doing the Music City Bowl anymore, but would love to see that in every bowl. Would love to see cotton baths, orange baths, peach baths, <laughs> rose baths. Why well, I want every bit of it in bowl season. I just saw something I'm excited about. It has nothing to do with what we were talking about, but uh, Gardner Minshew has issued a PSA for his cross-country RV tour. That'll be on Instagram, so pretty stoked about that. That Look, was such a random piece there, of information, there, and I've never needed such a random piece of information more. <laughs> I, right? If there is one quarterback that I would want to follow on a cross-country RV RV tour, it's our Lord and Savior Baker Mayfield. But if there's a second quarterback that I'd want to follow on a cross-country RV tour, it would be Jacksonville Jaguars quarterback and uh, known locker room jockstrapper Gardner Minshew. Exactly. Because he will be an electric factory on that. So thank you so much for that update. That's That sounds like thank a segment you. for next week. On yeah. Who would you rather go on an RV cross-country uh, tour yeah, with? Yeah, that would be. And if you have any segments, be sure to tweet us at 30 Rack Podcast or Facebook us at 30 Rack Podcast. But now that we're on a high note, it's time. Parting takes. For our parting takes. We got some zingers. We got some jeers. We got some grumbles. Gentlemen, who do we want to start with? I think we're going to go over to my left to Zach. Zach, who are we zinging this week? I, I think uh, I might have an idea. Football officiating. That's all I'm going to say. Football Whoa. officiating. Hey-o. Not just college. I think both college and the NFL have a complete and utter. I mean, we, I think people have been saying this for years. Fix it, gentlemen. Fix it. College, you can fix it one way. I think you need to make it national. You need to get some semblance of it, at least for the big five. There needs to be a semblance of everybody's on the same playing field. I feel like some of these conferences are calling different things. I might even get into that. Yeah, I hate having the... I think there should be NCAA rest, not Big 12 or Pac-12. I just think you get everybody under one roof. It makes it simple to... Just make sure you have... Get it right, guys. Get it right. I'm not just talking about the high State game. I think we saw some pretty bad officiating all around in bowl season. You better not be talking about Cincinnati and Elder... Alum oh. Kyle Rudolph. I was gonna, I was bike. gonna get to that. That was not a push in the, in the NFL. I mean, not what you didn't think so, really. I really didn't think so. I think uh, here's my thought. I in that one, I'm a little bit because I think he would have got. That was the Saints put in a bad position. They put a six foot corner on a six foot six tight end. I think he's getting the ball, but yes, it was, and they and they claim they reviewed it. I don't know. Honestly, my only problem with that is. The review has been so inconsistent right, all year right. that I had no idea what to expect. I sat there and I was like, look, based on what they've done late in the year, they could overturn it. Based on what they've done early in the year, they could not overturn it. I think what we want 
and full-time referees. It's one full-time referees and two in the in college is we want standard NCAA, NCAA referee. Because that way, when you go to a bowl game, you're expecting the same thing. Yeah. And I think there have been, you know, there have been analytics up to mm-hmm. this point where it says SEC pinpoints this. Right. ACC yeah. pinpoints big this. Big Ten pinpoints And when this, you're yeah. in the Big Ten and you're dealing with Big Ten refs, mm-hmm. when you go to Whatever refs they had in the Fiesta Bowl, God SEC knows what. Refs. SEC refs, who are the worst? They are. They're they gonna, are bad. They're gonna deal with other things. They're not AAC refs, so don't don't get me no, started. No, I know, that. but out of the Power Five, the SEC probably the, is the worst officiating out of the, out of crew. The, yeah, out of the Power Five, so certainly something to look forward, or so, certainly something to fix in the future. Probably won't Football, be fixed it's, it's because the NCAA is a Epidemic. corrupt organization. That's a better word. It's so. bad. It's bad. So that's mine. It's the, football needs to get it together. It's the most popular sport, and you just every week there's some kind of huge controversy. It's one of those things that it, it feels like it could be at least normalized and fixed if you put a little effort in. But it's the world's most popular. It's at least America's most popular right. sport. Sorry, not the world. It's not football, but yeah. America's most popular sport should be fixed. Now we're going to go over to my right. Josh, who are we jeering? We're jeering whoever, I guess we're jeering the American. Because I guess. Not America. Not not America. The American Athletic Conference. Um, I just don't understand how. Uh, the Six and six teams that barely are bowl eligible. That is the minimum right there. Should not be going up against 10 win teams. I mean, you're just not that setting. That we're two plays away from the Cotton Bowl. Right. I mean, you should. You just. That's not entertaining. We talked about how we did have right. a, a very entertaining bowl season this year. We did. Mm-hmm. Um, but you just can't. When you look, at, I don't understand how you look at that on paper and be like, "All right, this is this is what's going to be entertaining for this bowl. This six and six team." That, that struggled through a very mediocre conference against this 10-win team that went up against arguably one of the better conferences in the country this year. Better than the ACC, at least, yeah. Yeah. So I just don't understand where we're getting to this point of, I, I know I know it's all worked out between the conferences and this place and this conference plays this place and this conference and everything, but maybe we ought to get away from that I think and figure out... Just Which, get the bowl invites. Let's yeah. put the committee to work. Just, yeah, put you the committee You're not picking four teams. Exactly. Here's your bowls. Now, I do like, and people disagree with me, I do think, like, there's certain bowls, like the Rose Bowl, if it's not a college football playoff bowl, needs to be Big Ten, Pac-12. That's just, yes. that's just yes. the tradition. I'm, that's fine, bowls, but yeah, what we're talking... No, I, I know I you're talking, talking about. We're talking about, you know, UC playing right. a team that they shouldn't be playing. App State playing a team that they shouldn't be playing. I agree, leave, the rest of the bowls... The major, leave the yeah. major bowls alone, I think, but the rest yeah. of the bowls, you know, kind of like, come on. No, like, I agree. Look at that on paper. It's bad. It's like, not Let's good. be honest. Would you... I mean, imagine if UC played App State. It would probably be a much higher ranked bowl yeah. than... App State, UAB, or UC Boston College. God, I would have loved to see a UC versus App State. That would have been been a fun game. That would have been so fun. That's that's my G. Oh, I agree. No. Put them to work, man. Yeah. Put the committee to work. Put the committee to work. And now we're on to my favorite segment of the show. Greg's Grumbles. Greg's Grumpies. My Grumbles or or Grumpies, depending on uh, how much ridiculous you are. Uh, my grumble is with, honestly, two of my favorite Cavaliers, Channing Fry and Kevin Love. 
Um, over the weekend, as we discussed, Kevin Love had an altercation with the front office, was seen walking around a lot during the game against OKC on Saturday. Channing Fry, former Cavalier uh, fan favorite, former champion, but was really kind of a bench guy for him, not, certainly not a top player for know. them, went to Twitter to defend Kevin Love and talk about how he deserves better players around him and deserves to be on a contender. And also called out uh, point guard, or I guess guard, and uh, former top 10 pick Colin Sexton to a point where I would say, look, you knew what you were getting into when you signed that contract. You need to just get with it. Colin Sexton is a guy that's working through some of his, his downsides. He was a guy that has improved several fold throughout the last couple seasons. And as someone that has watched way more Cavs games than most people would ever want to in their <laughs> life because they would just get too depressed. I know he's been a guy that's been from just a scorer to a better scorer to a pass first guy. They have him. They have Darius Garland, who's a guy who's starting to find his own. They have some kind of young guys like Dante Exum mm-hmm. from Utah who's starting to find his own. And you have to realize when you agree to sign a contract with this organization, you're dealing with the rebuild. So if you're not going to give the effort and you're not going to be the leader as necessary, then that's on you. I said after Kevin signed that extension that I could never be mad at him because he was one, he was the one guy that wanted to stay with the organization. You know, Kyrie threw a fit, LeBron left, and I you know I understand LeBron leaving because he wants to get as many championships as possible. But he was the guy that stayed. Right. And now he's trying to hold the organization back by throwing a hissy fit and trying mm-hmm. to put down some of these young guys, him and Channing Fry, and I'm not here for it. Because at the end of the day, we're a rebuilding team. We need to find what we have out of these yeah. young guys. You know what? Thompson's probably not going to be here next year. No. Clarkson got traded. All these older guys will probably be gone soon. It's going to be Sexton. It's going to be Garland. It's going to be Larry Nance Jr. It's going to be Jetty Osman. It's going to be whoever they pick in the draft next year. And yeah. if you're not with us, you're against us. Oh, and man. to be honest... For Cleveland, if they can find some young guys and they can work themselves into the playoffs, you know, in the next couple years, it'll be a success for this team. So they're either help the development or get out of the way. Because honestly, at this point, Channing Fry is a guy that was a mediocre bench player who had one or two good games in the playoffs. <laughs> he was a good bench guy, good for more out, room guy. But he was a mediocre player. Yeah. Kevin Love has been up and down and very injury prone and honestly not worth the contract that he signed, mm-hmm. which shows because no one wants to trade for him. So at this point, you can either be with the team or you can be on the bench because guess what? We're not going to trade a first round pick to get rid of you and you're not worth the team giving up really anything to take down that contract. So either be with us or be against us because at this point, we're moving forward as an organization. And that's all I have to say Well on that. said. Very well said. All right. The guy right. made his bed. I don't know what he was expecting. Yeah. To, uh, to lighten things up a little bit before the end of this show, we are going to get into a couple shout-outs. Going to go to my man, Zach. Zach, who are we shouting out this week? I just want to shout out real quick. Uh, kind of an unsung hero in Ohio State football the last three years, J.K. Dobbins. Um, Finished the year with 2,003 rushing yards, second all-time behind the great Archie Griffin with uh, 4,455 yards. Um, Really the heart and soul of the team this year. Uh, You left it all in the field um, in in Arizona, and you could see how much that loss hurt to him. 
and how much he wanted that as kind of the guy who's always been kind of lesser known, but really carried this football team. Yeah, he was the backup to Zeke for a while that right. really did some good work kind of in the in the Master Teague role, you know, yeah. back then. Exactly. And, you know, kind of a kid from Laredo, Texas, who's, who committed to Ohio State without ever visiting campus. Um, just really cool story. Really great kid. And, you know, I think that was what hurt. And had an unbelievable career. Even, oh, yeah. even fighting through some injuries a couple of those years, you know, was yeah. a was an unbelievable running back, and he showed it to his last game. Yeah, so I just want to shout out J.K., and good luck, obviously, in your next level. All right, uh, Josh. I'll I'll let you go. I'll let you go. So uh, for my shout-out, I'm just, not to be too broad, but I want to give a shout-out to the Columbus Blue Jackets organization. I was actually at the game on Saturday where they had a kind of a kid's takeover day. Uh, They had a young man who... um, you know, had some leg braces. Uh, I don't know if it was Make-A-Wish or just kind of a, a kid, you know, giving, getting an opportunity to be kind of the coach. He was able to announce the starting lineup, and then his favorite really player, cool. Garkov, got the start because he said, hey, he's my favorite mm-hmm. player. So it's a classy move by the Blue Jackets or- organization. And then also they had, you know, kids get a chance to be the PA announcer, you know, interviewer, all this stuff. Mm-hmm. And, you know, uh, the Columbus Blue Jackets uh, national anthem singer who does it every game, Leo Welsh, uh, tweeted out a note from a kid named Mason who, who sang the anthem for the game on Saturday. And it was just such a, hey, I'm so honored. Thank you so much mm-hmm. for your pointers. I appreciate it. And it's one of those little things by an organization that doesn't take a whole lot. You know, you put out some mascots for people mm-hmm. to get, you know, autographs from. You let, you know, you let a kid take over as PA announcer. You let a kid, you know, run out as a referee and whatnot. But it's one of those little things that just makes such an indent in the community and the mm-hmm. state. And it's really one of those things that I hope to see in the future from the Blue Jackets because yeah. it was their first year of doing it. And even being a kid, you know, that, I, you know, I don't have any kids of my own, but it was cool to see how excited some of those kids were to see the mascots there and see, mm-hmm. you know, all the kids do things on the ice and whatnot and how excited That's they what were. That's what sports is for. That's ultimately, what sports is for. Ultimately, we all get worked up all day and yell and scream, but at the end of the day, that's, it, that's what it it's matters. It's for, you know, it's for those those moments, and I'm sure all of us have those moments of, you mm-hmm. know, meeting some of our heroes. You know, I've been to some of those Blue Jackets, uh, like, autograph sessions and whatnot, just to yeah. meet some of those guys. It's so cool, and it's such, you know, it's such a little time commitment, but it means so much to the community yeah. and the younger fans. And you look, you know, in 20 years, you'll see some of these same kids <laughs> being Blue Jackets fans and making their kids Blue Jackets fans because of the connection that they have to the city and the team. So really cool to see. That was Pe- cool. People worried about the Blue Jackets and the Blue Jackets fan base and hockey in Columbus after last year and everything mm. moved away. But the way they've rallied, especially in the past two months, man, like, yeah, it's fantastic. Been, it's been a, I mean, it was a packed house for that game. And there was a, there was a, like I said, there was a little autograph session that, you know, had, Stinger, the Blue Jackets uh, mascot, had SC, the crew mascot, had uh, the Bengal, had Swagger, the Browns oh, mascot. Cool. And just, like, there was a line of kids, like, halfway across oh, the stadium. Because, yeah. you know, just to meet that stuff. And it's one of those things that's just, you know, maybe it's a little bit of money, maybe it's a little bit of effort, but mm-hmm. it means so much to the community that I know the Blue Jackets are getting some stuff out of it and it's good for them, but it's good for the community and it's good for, you know... Exactly. It's always great to have kids have some sort of connection to a team, and I know all of us have had some of that in our childhood. Definitely. So very cool to see. 
All right, to wrap it up, Josh, who are you shouting out? Um, I'm shouting out, uh, not to end on a sad note, I want this to be a happy note, um, but uh, yeah, you know, I'm a Cincinnati sports guy, um, mm-hmm. and uh, 2020 has already taken two great oh, Cincinnati yeah, sports yeah. legends from us. Um, down at UC, uh, Hall of Fame, UC Hall of Fame, and uh, also a broadcaster for a long time for Bearcats basketball, uh, Chuck Matchick. Uh, passed away. Metric was an unbelievable guy, and if any of you have not seen the video of him getting ejected in that NCAA tournament game against Gonzaga, (laughs) it is electric. Also, until he retired, Dan Horde's sign-off was always, it's been so many games since Chuck Machak has been ejected from a basketball (laughs) game, an electric factory. He's one of those guys that is amazing, and the best quote I heard, not to kind of run over it, was from Mo Egger that said, he was one of Bob Huggins' best friends, and he didn't even drink. So <laughs> that, that was a quote I was going to use. You said that much better than I was going to for him. Um, and then uh, we also lost uh, Sam Weich, who uh, was Boo. who was the head coach of the Cincinnati Bengals. Uh, you for don't the, live in Cleveland. <laughs> for the 80s, and famously when uh, bottles were being thrown down onto the field during a Bengals-Browns game in Cincinnati, he took the mic and said to the stadium, you don't live in Cleveland. You live in Cincinnati. Act like it. Uh, that's so, when football was good with all but that. It was stuff. one of those things that, you know, I heard stories from Browns fans afterwards where people would have, you know, signs that would say, you know, I mean, just fuck you, Sam, but also you're awesome. Like, yeah. When he went up Browns to Cleveland fans, that next- Browns fans, like, hated or loved to hate yeah. him. And that's one of those things that's great because when you can – I guess endear yourself to a Cincinnati fan base and also get a rival fan base to turn on you. It's great for both sides. Right. It helps to it made that eighties rivalry so much fun. He went up to yeah. Cleveland not long after that and did a dunk take in Cleveland with yeah. Bernie Kozar yeah. through I was the say, first one he, and dunked. He him. turned that whole thing into a charity thing. Yeah. And that's why I bring this up. Uh, you know, Machak obviously more like a Cincinnati thing, but mm. Weish was, you know, obviously a Cincinnati coach, but very influential an innovator in the game at the time, mm-hmm. and then just influential to the rivalry yeah. for football that we have here in Ohio. That's fun. Uh, he took the Bengals to their last Super Bowl appearance mm-hmm. um, in 88. Um, so, or excuse me, uh, that was, the, yeah, the 88 season where they lost uh, in the last few seconds to Joe Montana's San Francisco 49ers. Wow, tough. Um, but, yeah. Feel bad for you. <laughs> uh, worked with uh, Boomer Esiason there uh, in the 80s. So, you know, they, they both very impactful um, gentlemen there. And my shout-outs to uh, their families, uh, the legacy they left behind. So Yeah, I'd love to see, you know, two Ohio guys that, you know, unfortunately are gone but made such an impact on the community. So cool to see. All right, well uh, – we're back on a regular schedule now. Um, yep. After this week, uh, if you haven't, we did a we did a countdown show. Um, I don't know. Uh, a lot of people haven't really heard about it yet because we were all busy on the holidays. Right. We released it Check on the it holiday out. week. Um, pretty cool episode. We mm-hmm. count down the top twenty moments for, of Ohio sports of the past decade. Um, but and we'll be this. We're releasing one day late this week on Tuesday morning, but we'll be back Monday mornings. Yeah, it's certainly a cool episode to see. You get to see, uh, honestly, all to listen to. Or to listen to, I suppose. You can visualize it. You can visualize it because you can visualize. It's probably the most emotional all three of us have gotten in an episode talking about some of the greatest moments in Ohio sports history for us. Mm -hmm. So certainly something cool to see. Check it out. 
check out this pod. Tell your friends about this pod. Check out the pod next week. We'll be back on Sundays. So be sure to check out a 30 Rack of Sports. Check us out on Twitter at 30 Rack Podcast, at Facebook at 30 Rack Podcast. For the Ohio State guy himself, Zach. For Mr. Cincinnati, Josh. And for the Cleveland Cav, Greg Miller. (laughs) Thank you so much for listening. See you next week. Peace.